does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Wow, what a great day to be in the seat talking sports. So much good to discuss today. You have come to the right place. 93.51075, the fan. I'm Vince Welch, former Colts defensive back Marlon Jackson is here. We're going to talk Colts, Super Bowl, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. Oh, man, there's some so crazy, much, so much crazy stuff so much going on. <laughs> uh, producer Jimmy Cook here to make sure we don't go off the rails. Pacers are in Miami to play the Heat tonight. Pacers haven't run a, uh, won a road game since we were putting out milk and cookies for Santa Claus. Yeah, I mean, it's they, been a little, long time. They've struggled a little, yeah. a little bit as of late, uh, especially with Halliburton when he was out, right, not be able to get too many wins. And um, hopefully they can get things turned around and going in the right direction because they, they really lost an opportunity, I felt, with how they started off, how they were playing, yeah. and then kind of things kind of fell off the rails when Halliburton went out and not able to really regain form, hoping, hoping they can do so here shortly. Yeah, they need it. We'll talk with Kristen Airy, you know, probably from the beach, to see if uh, tonight's the night the blue and gold get another road dub. How about LeBron James broke Kareem's career NBA scoring record last night? Did you see that? That was absolutely awesome. Um, didn't witness it firsthand, but just to understand the magnitude mm. of an accomplishment like that um, and just the expectations and everybody in society – we we've watched we've witnessed we're talking about LeBron James the king from the time that he was in high school and just the accolades and the expectations to be just as great as Michael Jordan and for him to time and time again to step up and meet the mark and exceed the mark. Now we say exceed the mark yeah. literally when it comes to stats, right? And now even more so cemented as arguably the best basketball player of all time. Yeah, it's a it's a debate that will rage on for forever. maybe forever, <laughs> Michael or LeBron. But from a statistical standpoint, you can't argue LeBron. LeBron's not my favorite. I think that uh, – you know, he gets slapped on the arm. He acts like he's been shot. You know, he rolls around on the ground. He's a, you know, a little more of a complainer. Not my cup of tea uh, on a personal level from a fan's perspective. But, man, you cannot deny what he has done. And and I think the most impressive thing from LeBron is that he was the anointed one in high school. Exactly. And exactly. he has lived up to it and living up to it may be it's, it's the extremely greatest. Difficult. Oh, <laughs> extremely difficult to do so. Um, and, and it was interesting that he, he is polarizing, though. Yeah. Like as as great as he is, there there are two sides to you know the tale of how individuals feel about LeBron LeBron James. Um, and it's and it's all arguable as most things are in society. Um, but everybody does have their own sentiments and feelings towards how he may play the game, his impact on the game and overall his greatness and where does he stack up against others you can't argue the fact though that that he has been uh the greatest in the game currently uh, statistically yep. uh and he's also had no serious missteps off the court and all of that and i take all of that in totality when i talk about lebron james and my sentiments towards him you know um as someone who has come from a struggle Right. You know, he grew up in eastern Ohio. 
I grew up in the area, Youngstown, Ohio, Sharon, Pennsylvania, not far away from there. Um, and to know what he's overcome and to what he's been, when he's, what he's gone on to accomplish and then and accomplishing, not forgetting where he's come from and everything that he does on the court and how great it is. It's even better everything that he does off the court and how he conducts himself and he carries himself professional and professional, but he's still true to himself and he knows who he is. And and then giving back what he's doing in the community with with education, with with uh, housing. He's, he just does so much as an entrepreneur and a philanthropist that, you know, for me, that that goes into the totality of when when I say greatest, he's just one of the greatest people as an athlete of all time. Yeah, he has earned it, but he is uh, sharing it, which is important. And, of course, uh, last night, as mentioned, uh, broke Kareem's record. Here was the call from Brian Anderson on TNT. Looking for James. He's got it. Coming to the end of the third quarter. LeBron James, a shot in history. I thought that was a great call from Brian Anderson last night. And and from a fan's perspective, you might hear it one way or you were watching the game. You saw it from a broadcaster's perspective. A lot of times we look at and listen for how an announcer calls a critical moment. Um, The one thing you don't want to do as an announcer is talk too much. Mm -hmm. But I thought uh, Brian did a terrific job. He, He set the tone of what the moment was going to be. He described the moment. He he put the period on the moment, and really maybe the exclamation part uh, point on the moment. But he didn't over talk. Yeah, he didn't clutter it with unnecessary words. Let's let's hear it again. Can we hear it one more time, Jimmy? And just listen to the efficiency in which he uses his words. It was beautiful. Looking for James. He's got it. Coming to the end of the third quarter. LeBron James, a shot in history. Some interesting numerology about that, okay? LeBron, with that basket, that gave him 38,388 points. He's 38 years old. (laughs) He broke Kareem's record, which had stood for 38 years. Oh, wow. Symbolism. A lot of symbolism there. And LeBron finished the game last night with... 38, 38 points. points. Hey, it was his night, literally. It was. The, it was the, other the universe, than the fact that the Lakers lost. That they lost, but his night. His night maybe not the team's I, night. I'm going to nitpick on him just a little bit, though. He said during the course of the celebration, it was a perfect night. Yeah. And I, I, wouldn't it have been a perfect night if they would have won? Does it matter that the Lakers didn't win? I mean, well, not for LeBron. No, it didn't. <laughs> it didn't but it, it didn't. what are we saying? He, 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 he said he said it. He like you yeah. know, it was perfect for him. You know, through the context or the lens of, you know, the accomplishment of the achievement, um, and to be able to do it at home, um, 
although it wasn't a win, it still was a great ending for him to now put that to rest because even just everyone tracking it, I'm sure that has to get tiresome. Yeah. Um, just a constant barrage of questions, um, of attention that's centered around the achievement that is to come. Yeah. And that can take, you know, focus off of actually the team and the game at hand and winning. Well, all the athletes that have pursued the big records have all expressed an incredible relief yeah. when it was over because it imagine. is burdensome to to carry it. So we'll break down that. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, my era loved Kareem. You know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was uh, phenomenal and, of course, had the uh, the record prior to LeBron breaking it last night. So maybe look a little bit at uh, Kareem. It was cool to see Kareem give the ball oh, yeah. to LeBron yeah. last night and the symbolism of that. Hey, how about the college hoops last night? Ball State won on the road. Butler squeaked one out at home in the most dramatic, some say great, controversial fashion. Great for Butler. They, yes. need, they, they needed it. Uh, they needed ended it. a five-game losing streak for Butler. And the Hoosiers... The Hoosiers did it. IU finally beat Rutgers. Big win for IU on multiple fronts, including Trace Jackson Davis going over the 2,000-point mark for his career. Man, he had a good he, he is He is tearing it up right now. Stephen Bardo was on the call last night from Assembly Hall, and he joins us now. Hello, Stephen. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. Hey, uh, great to have you with us. Good call last night. Uh it was, I thought, an interesting game for Indiana from Indiana's perspective going in after the big win over Purdue. Yes. A little bit of fear about a letdown. And, and Mike Woodson said afterwards he thought they were a little bit lethargic. But what was your impression of what you saw from IU last night? Well, I think sometimes coaches have to pick uh, to, to keep their guys sharp. I, I thought Indiana really came out with a lot of intensity. And they brought the fight to Rutgers. And I think, you know, uh, knowing that Trace Jackson Davis had never beaten Rutgers, there was some natural incentive there. And the way that they pressured Rutgers early in the game brought the physicality. I thought uh, they did an excellent job. And, you know, it was uh, was fantastic to see the way that they came out and played and overcame some fear. You know, after beating the number one team in the country, you're going to have a little bit of fear about, whether you're going to come out and be ready to play, but they were certainly ready to play last night. And, and as you reflect and you take a look at this season and the evolution of it, what do you see as the ceiling for IU basketball this season and how things are unfolding with the growth and maturity that we see with this team? Well, I think when you see uh, a team that you know has had the ups and downs that Indiana's had, they've overcome injury, uh, I think they've had more – key injuries than any other Big Ten team thus far. And for them to be in this position right now, probably looking at second place and uh, beating the number one team in the country under their belt, I think this is a a second weekend team. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how they incorporate Xavier Johnson back into the fold. We saw him yesterday. He's, He's planning to return sometime in the regular season. We don't know exactly when. But when he comes back and if that uh, integration can be somewhat positive and, and non-jarring. Uh, Indiana's going to be dangerous. Vince Welch and uh, Marlon Jackson on the uh, phone with Stephen Bardo, who called the IU Rutgers game last night. IU 66, Rutgers 60. Stephen, Trace Jackson Davis, uh, you get what you get from him. I mean, he, he never uh, ceases to 
uh, impress. I mean, last night, 20 points, 18 rebounds, six assists, his 44th double-double. I, however, think that the success of Indiana and whether Indiana is going to make any sort of run in the tournament doesn't necessarily rest on the shoulders of Trace Jackson Davis because he gives it every night. It's more of the guys around him. And last night, uh, it happened to be Miller Cop stepped up, hit four of six from three-point range, scored 18 points. I mean, that was huge for Indiana last night, I thought. Yeah, it's been interesting because um, really the only – team that's been able to put together consistent efforts on the road uh, appears to be Purdue at this point. So Indiana's not unlike the rest of the teams in that jumbled bunch with Rutgers and Michigan. You know, all these teams, they seem to struggle traveling that city that they bring it home. Having some problems there with uh, Stephen's cell phone, so we'll see if we can uh, make that connection a little bit better. Jimmy, uh, we'll try to connect with him again. You know, we were talking, Marlon, we were talking about Miller Cop and the 18 points, and when Indiana hits the perimeter shots, which they've struggled to do this season, it's amazing (laughs) how much that opens up the interior and and allows Trace or Race Thompson or whomever happens to be uh, rolling the paint to to get their job done. And what you said earlier, and just in terms of Trace Jackson Davis and what he brings to the table, and he brings it every night. So we know what what he brings to the table, but what's that other component? Like, what else is possibly missing or... Uh, who do we need to see step up? We, we've seen the young freshmen, the guards play well. Um, but, you know, as we as we look at Indiana and you prepare for them to be able to make a run, you, you think, what what else is missing? What else do they need to get over the hump, you know, in terms of their guard play and what you mentioned in terms of their, their shooting ability, you know, and not always being efficient in doing so? Is, is that what will uh, catch them up? to say, you know, as the season moves forward, will it be a, an off-shooting night? But will, the de- will their defense be able to kind of uh, supplement for poor shooting? I, th- I think they've done a little bit of that. When they've needed, you know, great defensive effort, when there was poor shooting, they've been able to step up on a defensive end and make some things happen. But it, it's, it's fun to see evolution of – collegiate players when they're able to stay for three or four years and not leave early when they have the ability as we've seen with Trace Jackson Davis you know he's he's been known as a dominant force but it seems to be on another level and more consistent I would say this this season yeah and I thought it was interesting and and Steven's back with us Steven uh, I thought it was interesting after the game last night Trace was asked about um, his evolution kind of as Marlon was addressing there from his freshman year to his senior year. And I know you've been calling games a long time, played in the Big Ten, and and you've seen it just about everything. Uh, How would you describe that evolution from Trace Jackson Davis as a freshman to the game he has now? Well, I think that when you look at Trace, and, you know, he came in as a tremendous athlete, but his body has changed, and that that – we're just in a bad area there. <laughs> you got a bad connection. Bad connection. All right. Well, just let Steven know. We'll, we'll catch up with him another time. I, I thought that it was interesting. And, and 
and if you don't, if you go from your freshman year to your senior year, and and you know whether it's basketball or football or whatever, the it concept is, is the same. You, you've got to get better. I mean, you, you you've got to you get should better. be getting better. You, you should be a better player as a senior than you were as a freshman. Right, but it's just when when you are a guy that that is talented. And there's talk early on of you being a guy that can leave early. You know, sometimes that can breed complacency, right? Where I'm I'm uber talented. I'm one of the best. I can just go out there and I can get my buckets with my athleticism. And then sometimes those guys don't work as hard. So when you don't have the work with the talent, you don't see evolution where you know that he's been working, right? And I think Mike Woodson was the best, one of the best things that could have happened to him, literally, right? Monetarily, his value has has gone up, you know, because I think it, you, you may have, at least for me, when I watched him early on, I asked him questions like, eh, what level of an NBA guy is he? Like, and as he's continuing to evolve, and when I see him this season, it's like, okay, yeah, he's a legit, he can be a force, you know, as a as a power forward in, a, in, the, in the NBA or... Or small or a small forward in the NBA with this with his his skill set in terms of athleticism, but also just his his moves around the bucket and his his tenacity on the boards and just he, he's playing with another level of confidence and energy in my opinion. Yeah, the motor is definitely there. Uh, what I worry a little bit about as he transitions to the next level, we don't see it, and not that he can't do it, but we don't see it currently uh within the iu system is him stepping out and knocking down the jump shot and, and that's where he's been i think he's there's constraints yeah in the system maybe he's knocking him down in practice in, but in. within the constraints yeah. of the offense he's not doing that and and um but that'll be that'll be the big step i thought a couple of things uh, were huge for indiana last night they go eight minutes without a basket and i thought in the second in the second half and i thought that there were times where i'm not sure that an Indiana team of a month and a half or two months ago would have withstood that. that. And Indiana's now won seven of the last eight. Um, Woodson made the comment afterwards, our guys believe. Trace Jackson Davis said it's confidence. You know, and those are the things that allow you to get through a dry spell like that and and not crumble. You know, they still were able to gather themselves up and finish. Yep. And and that's what it takes to be a championship team is to be able to get on those runs. But it's also to be able to weather the storms of adversity. You know, they've had some adversity, but I think there's still more to come. That's the nature of the Big Ten, whether it be football or basketball. It is a tough conference and you're going to get beat up. And you mentioned on the road. Can you go on the road and win? That's where championships will be won. It's particularly thinking about when they go up to, you know, uh, West Lafayette and they play Purdue and, you know, if they're able to have that same level of intensity because we saw they really fed off of that home crowd this past weekend. And I think that that crowd had a, a lot to do with the effort and energy that we saw displayed on that court. Yeah. And we're going to find out about Indiana on the road because, uh, what, six uh, regular season games left, four of them are on the road. They they go up to Ann Arbor to take on your Wolverines on Saturday, then at Northwestern, um, home against Illinois, at Michigan State, oh, at it's, Purdue. It, there's some, t- there's some, tough, there's some and tough And then home ones against Iowa. Up. I mean, the, the schedule, it's never easy in the but, conference play anyway. Right. I mean, even the home games yep. are tough. But then you go on the road to places like Michigan. I mean, Northwestern is, you know, used to be that. You East chalk Lansing. that up as a win, but you can't do that anymore. Uh, Izzo and Michigan State. I mean, Purdue. Always I mean, tough. there's Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a challenging road the rest of the way for Indiana. But the Hoosiers have won seven of the last eight. They finally beat Rutgers.
Rutgers after losing six in a row. Uh, Rutgers was out without one of their better players who's out with an MC, uh, ACL, but but still, I thought Indiana did what they had to do. Big win for the Hoosiers uh, to come back uh, off that emotional high of beating Purdue and to uh, get the job done last night at home. I would say that's the, the one of the most impressive aspects of it is that you just came off an enormous win at home against your rival where that is a it's kind of a trap game the trap the game after that right where you know we're we're feeling ourselves and you know we're the big men on campus and our chest is out and it's easy <laughs> to get full of yourself when you have that success but to then to see them come right back out and to fight and to get another W at home that's how you really, really, in my opinion, breed confidence. And what Coach Woodson said, it breeds belief. And belief is a very powerful tool as you move forward through a difficult stretch, as you mentioned, yeah. with four of their last games being on the road. You know, Trace Jackson Davis is going to get the headlines uh, along with Miller Cop, and, and justifiably so. I mean, Trace, over 2,000 points now. Uh, by the way, that puts him sixth on the all-time scoring list and uh, we'll touch on that here in a moment cop with the 18 points Uh, but i thought they got some good minutes from some other guys that you may not notice in the box score uh trey galloway um that rebound he got a rebound basket uh with under a minute to play which was huge put indiana up seven and i thought there was a time there where you kind of felt like even though they were up five they could be faltering they miss a shot he gets the rebound gets the basket gets fouled didn't make the free throw but it still was a big momentum uh move for indiana and and uh just got some good some good efforts from a lot of different players uh, last night in uh, that led them to that to that win. Yeah, uh, agreed. And you know, it, it's it was a total team effort as as it should be because you know we, we may mention Trace Jackson Davis a lot, but it's those little plays, those small plays, those rebounds, those steals, the big shot and the big moment, the the unexpected. Right? You always need those types of plays from your role players in order to be successful and IU is is getting that right now and not only is the success of Trace Jackson Davis a part of that and Coach Woodson but it's other guys buying into their roles going out playing with the effort and energy and intensity that's needed to win and allowing the team to be successful as a whole. Trace Jackson Davis, we mentioned, moved into sixth place on the all-time scoring list. Mike Woodson, his coach, is ahead of him. Um, Cobbert Chaney, number one on that list. Steve Alford, uh, number two. Um, Don Schlunt, uh, number three. And for those of you uh, young of age, don't remember Don, but he was a phenomenal player back in the 50s. No three-point game back then, but he was a 6'10". and imagine that scoring all of those points without, without a three point, the three point three line, <laughs> and not that Trace gets a lot of three pointers, but it was a different era back then. But the games didn't score. You know, the total score of a team wasn't well, what it is today either. And I'm sure the style of play, yeah. the pace, everything yeah. is just evolved. Yeah, Don Schlunt was a terrific, terrific player for Indiana. Won the national championship of the Hoosiers in in '53, and. Um, and this is what a different era was when it came time after college, he went into business instead of going into 
play professional ball. You know, nowadays you would never, ever yeah. uh, make that decision. Uh, A.J. Guyton, fourth on the list, who is just a phenomenal player. And um, and then Woodson is fifth. Trace Jackson Davis is sixth. So, as mentioned, Indiana will play at Michigan on Saturday. How about Butler last night? So Butler has lost five in a row going into this game last night against St. John's and trailed most of the game last night. It ended up being tied with a couple of minutes to go. By the way, second game in a row that Butler's played without Chuck Harris, who's obviously one of their outstanding players, one of their uh, top scorers. Um, Butler had a couple of turnovers in the final minute, missed a couple of free throws in the final seconds. And I thought, man, they're going to blow, you know, they're going to throw this thing away. Yeah. Yeah. And managed uh, to hold on on or pull pull through. Hold on or pull through. If you you didn't see it, Butler's up two with uh, less than a second to play. And St. John's has the basketball underneath their own, their own goal. And I think there was 0.8 on the clock, I think. So, they they throw a pass. St. John's throws a pass in trying to lob it to their center in the middle to just catch and drop it in. And the Butler inbound, uh, who was guard, the Butler player who was guarding the inbound, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on who it was, but he tipped it. And, of course, well, that immediately starts the clock. So by the time that the St. John's player caught it and then just tossed it, you know, basically tapped it toward the basket, um, Originally, they counted the basket, went to the instant replay, uh, looked at it, and little, determined determined that the ball was still on the edge of the fingertips of the St. John's player when the clock went zero. So Mike, a little luck. Mike Anderson, the uh, St. John's coach, was not very happy. So they were, I thought they were thinking home cooking. Yeah. Home home cooking right but, there. Um, but, you know, and it just it goes to show, and Marlon, you know this, I mean, the smallest thing can make the biggest difference. Yep. Tipping that inbound pass, that started the clock. If he wouldn't have tipped it and the clock wouldn't have started until the St. John's player caught it, that basket counts and we so, go to overtime. That's that's the lesson, especially for for young players, man. I mean, young athletes that I see, my I have I have three young boys and we play basketball and football and baseball, and that's one of the things that we always preach is effort, energy. Like you can be talented, but the guys that are really going to stick out are the effort guys. The the guys that are going to make those winning plays are the guys that play with the most effort. And that was literally such a small but big play and moment. And, you know, I think we heard Coach Datmata speak about staying the course and the effort. That's what he was proud of. And at times we've we've heard him saying the opposite, that the effort wasn't at the level that it needs to be, that the intensity wasn't at a level that it needs to be. So in terms of psychologically and the, and the culture that they're trying to build, you need those types of plays and you need those types of wins to breed that confidence that can kind of kind of turn the tide in terms of getting the, the program to go in the right direction. Yeah, that was a big win for Butler last night. Hey, you mentioned your kids. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the NFL Pro Bowl showcase, yeah, whatever that was. Game show you know, showcase. Uh, because you you were telling me earlier before we came on the air, your kids loved it and a lot of people like hated it because yep. it wasn't what we used to have and blah, blah, blah. But there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Aaron Rodgers is going to go on a darkness retreat. Uh, Sean Payton says Russell Wilson can't have his private coaches in the locker room around the facility. A lot of football stuff to talk about. We'll do that with Marlon Jackson when we come back. I'm Vince Welch, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. <laughs> 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, great to have you with us. Thanks for spending part of your day with us here at 93.5, 107.5 The Fan, along with Marlon Jackson. I'm Vince Welch. And, you know, Marlon, it was interesting with all this Tom Brady stuff, you know, Brady announcing his retirement again, etc. Taking ownership uh, of it this time, too. He is. He is. <laughs> that was fun. That's fun. Uh, but the two of you are kind of forever linked, aren't you? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, mean I love it. The, I love for it. those that don't remember the year the Colts went to the Super Bowl, they, of course, beat the Patriots in the AFC championship game. The Patriots have the ball at the end of the game in the hands of Brady with an opportunity to go down, score, and win the game. And the Colts secured the victory courtesy a Marlon Jackson interception. Yes, yes. A great I, great moment, great memory for the city of Indianapolis. And I, I got to believe for you, t- I mean, take us back there. Do you remember what that play... Tell oh, uh, God, yeah. Uh, that, well, so, you know, break that down That is us. one of those things that... I can never forget. Um, it, it is a core memory, um, a core experience that has really afforded me a lot of opportunity after in life um, to be remembered in such a high regard here throughout the city of Indianapolis is direct relation to that play. Um, and all of it is about this, the, the moment in terms of, the historical context of the relationship between the Patriots and the Colts and kind of being in the midst of the uh, tide turning more in, in our favor and that moment being kind of a tipping point where things totally turned in our favor. Understanding the magnitude of the moment, you know, remembering the formation, remembering what I saw in terms of the read, remembering the break, remembering the moment after and picking it off and immediately getting on the ground. And then all that confetti coming down and knowing that it's not up in the air. You're going to the Super Bowl. Did you read Brady's eyes? What gave you? Because you had such a good jump on that throw. It was his, it was, it was his body. So it's just the, the tendencies, right? It's, it's the mental aspect of the game that if you study and if you pick up on tendencies, it allows you to be able to use your physical skills and abilities even more. So Brady was always known, especially with cover two teams like ourselves, he was known to look one way and then blindly turn and look and throw the opposite. So immediately when the ball is snapped, he turns and looks away from me. So that's telling me that he's actually going to come to me, right? So then as he starts to turn his head, I'm already breaking to go and intercept the ball, but it's because of my my film study uh, to pick up on that tendency. But then to be able to not only pick it up, but then put it into action and split in a split second in a moment and make the play. Uh, the Colts and the Patriots has such a heated rivalry. Um, as a player in the midst of that rivalry, is it? Is it is hatred a strong too strong or is it respect? I mean, the yeah. fans get caught up in the in the intensity and the hatred of the rivalry. But what is it like inside the locker room when there's that nemesis that keeps being the thorn in the side, like the Patriots were for so many years? Um, sometimes I think it depends on the makeup of the rivalry because I'll, I'll throw in there and add in on the collegiate level, like Michigan, Ohio State, or and you played Mich- at Michigan, Michigan, and yeah. Michigan State, yeah. where it was Michigan, Michigan State 
was a little bit more of a hatred where Michigan, Ohio State, there's some mutual respect there. And then, you know, I was I would put, you know, the Colts and Patriots in that maybe that same category, a, a lot of respect. You know, there's a lot of Hall of Fame players on both times. I mean, I had the opportunity to play with so many guys that are currently in the ring of honor, guys and coaches that are in the Football Hall of Fame, guys that are going to go into the Football Hall of Fame, and it's the same thing in, in that in that period of time with the Patriots. So just when you, you know, understand the level of the competition that you're going up against, you can't help but respect them. You may not like them, but doesn't mean you can't respect them. What's the rival? What was Tony Dungy's approach to the rivalry of Patriots Colts? Oh, what well, you know, Tony was. I think we all know he's so even keel, right? You know, and it literally this his words. But he's a competitor. Don't, don't man. get don't get too high. Don't yeah. get too low. He he's a competitor, but it was a, it was the same approach, like every every game, very methodical, um, and just taking the same approach. It's it's a rivalry, but. We need to do the same things in terms of how we prepare, and in terms of the measurables that are going to allow us to win. They're all the same, right? We have to do what we do, right? You know, and that that's another one of his sayings. We're going to do what we do. We're not because it's the Patriots. We're going to you know create up an, a, an entirely new scheme, all right? A new offense, a new defense. We might put some wrinkles in, but we're going to execute yeah. the fundamentals that we execute at a high level. We execute well. We're just going to continue to do those things extremely well and let our effort and energy and intensity take us over the top. The interception of Brady that secured the AFC championship and uh, sent you guys to the Super Bowl, you picked up, picked off the pass. That ball, you did you keep oh, that yeah. ball? And where is that and ball And I'm today? sure Mr. Ursay wants it because I, I, I know that they have my helmet from that. I would I would like to have that, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to get that back. The that, Colts have that. that, that that's in the it, museum. That's in the uh, gotcha. museum. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure he would like to have the man, ball. you should be able to keep your own but gear, would, man. I would I would have liked that helmet. I didn't even <laughs> know they had it until I, I I walked through one day and I saw it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, there's my, there's my helmet. Um, but no, even that, even saying that, like, I'm glad that they, they – felt the need or there was a desire to keep it yeah. you know that that's a memory um now your kids were too young well, well my, my, kids, weren't, my born, kids weren't alive weren't even born yet, i got I, was, I got married after i left the nfl yeah. and started having kids so after the fact but they youtube yeah i was gonna YouTube. say do you make sure they see it <laughs> you, and say, you, hey, you youtube and and fans make sure that they know about it as well like you know when, when they, they see me get stopped when somebody asks for an autograph or starts talking to me and it's always it's kind of always the same thing where oh you know man i just got to tell you I remember the call, Bob Lamy. Yeah. Marlon's got it. Like, and, and they, they go into the call, and they, they, my kid, my kids love it, and they smile, you know. And they they watch highlights on YouTube. As anybody with kids right now, you know the power of YouTube yeah. and all, the power and how the kids love to go on and watch videos. So my kids are always on there watching football, watching my highlights, all that good stuff. Speaking of your kids, nine, seven, and five, right? So I yes. mean, a completely different demographic than than what you and I are as as adults, and and so forth and and so the pro bowl the yeah. nfl pro bowl new format new format and uh kind of the old you know uh, the old the old guard you know misses the day when the game was you know meant was, something and they yeah, played and it was and blah, physical blah, blah, blah. but and it got to the point at the end it where was it two hand touch yeah, <laughs> with pads and, and you know you didn't nobody wants to get hurt don't blame them but nobody wants to watch that 
either. Yeah. Because it, it really it wasn't they they had to do something and this was an attempt um and, and innovation is always an attempt. So, right? so as a former player watching that and it's the Pro Bowl and and what does it mean to be, you know, to to be a Pro Bowl selection, etc. And then the format of kind of games, you know, like yard games that they were yep. playing and stuff. Uh, what did you feel like as a as a former player watching it? And then how did your kids receive it? Well, I mean, at, initially I kind of was thrown off, but as I continued to watch throughout the weekend and then on Sunday, I was like, it's pretty cool, right? You know, the difficulty with being a national football in the National Football League is that you have a helmet on. And when it comes to marketing and branding, people don't really know who you are. What right? you look like. What, what you literally what you look like. Yeah. But this was an opportunity to see what players look like, to see a little bit of personality, to get right in the mix with the production crew, right? And see and hear the experience and um, see how they're taking in the fanfare. So from that aspect, it, it was cool and it was unique but it was definitely different and then I was very you know conscious as I was taking it in to to watch my children and to see what their response was and they were huddled up on a couch watching it where I know that if it was the actual game they would not have been able to sit for the entirety of a full game where they sat down and they're watching the dodgeball, they're they're watching the obstacle course and them pushing, <laughs> pulling, uh, unstacking the weights from a wall and then pulling the wall. They watch the seven on seven, right? Because even that's changed, right? During my era, seven on seven wasn't necessarily a thing outside of what we did at practice. There wasn't as much NFL flag and seven on seven tournaments, you know. But now. Those are very popular, and and all they're doing is they're they're, they're tracking the some you know older generation may not get it, but they're they're tracking the new age and the younger generation, and and trying to bring others along at the same time, because these things are very popular, and even the format is popular. If you if you just if you watch TV at all sometimes and you go through the standard CBS ABC, there's all sorts of game shows yeah. where there's all sorts of tasks and things that people have to accomplish. That that's kind of a format nowadays, and they kind of integrated that concept in, with 7-on-7 seven seven flag football and allowing the players to show some personality, to show, literally see their faces. And I think that the younger audience loved it. I think for others, it's growing on them. But then you heard some actual players like, it's stupid. Yeah. Right. You know, I think Josh Jacobs yeah. running back for for the Raiders, that w- those were his sentiments that this is dumb. Well, you're never going to please everybody all the time. No. Nope. And it is as Definitely much not as, in America. And it, <laughs> and it is a situation where you always you have to protect the players, even though Miles Garrett did end up getting hurt. I think he was the only one that suffered a serious injury. So you got to protect the players. And but also that younger demographic, like your kids. I mean, that's ultimately, I mean, the NFL is king. I mean, the NFL has the golden calf. You know, everybody is watching it. I mean, it was the most watched, the Pro Bowl event was the most watched sporting event of the weekend. And so if they can roll that, that out, out and, and it's it's still everybody successful, watches. Like, so, but if they get the kids to watch, I mean, that's that's important. And that's, and, and that's, they're one of the best, in my opinion, they are one of the best at target, targeting 
a broader audience, whether it be children or it be, you know, an unexpected demographic like the female population. They do a great job of coming to where people are, because even, you know, when we watch games during the season now with my kids, there are games that are on. It, it's uh, what is it? It's on Nickelodeon. It's it's the highlights that have the animation all built in. Slime time. Like you, you have all of these offshoots of football now that appeals to different demographics. And even if you look at you know Monday Night Football and and the uh, Eli and Peyton Manning, right? They're they're cast on ESPN two. Yeah. Right. It, it's it's not. The typical play-by-play, it's, it's supposed to be a little more entertaining, a different audience. We're going to have some characters come on. We're going to have some athletes come on, and we're going to have discussion in between hearing Eli and Aaron Payton. They just have a broad, you know, um, method in, in which they engage their audience. And even in that Pro Bowl situation, we saw Payton, Payton's competitiveness, which yeah, I know yeah, you're yeah. familiar with. And But <laughs> that's the thing about the athletes, though, because even, even with that, it's going to come out. Yeah. Like, guys are so competitive and I'm like this as well even sometimes where you may not think I'm competing but I'm compete I'm competing I want to I want to win right but you know Peyton for sure uber competitive all those guys and for the guys the format on the back end probably didn't change in terms of you know they earn right their their fees their wages for that game if you win Right. And there's a scale. And I think it was about a 40, at least a $40,000 difference between the winning and losing, losing divisions. Right. So that is a major incentive. Even if we're not playing tackle football, I still have to compete and win because I want that money. Would Peyton make a good coach? Um, that, that's a that's a good question. That's that's a good I want to say that's a good question because sometimes, you know, Hall of Fame players, top tier players don't always because of, I would say, expectations. Because you did it so well, you have this expectation that how you think and how you apply and do things is the norm. When it's when it's not, that was why you. That's why you're one of the exceptions. Let me ask you this: the Colts took a lot of heat for putting Jeff Saturday in as the interim. Okay, and in the speculation of potentially even being a candidate for the full-time head coaching position has been a pretty polarizing subject. Very, very. Would it be the same polarizing discussion if (laughs) it was Peyton Manning and not Jeff Saturday? And I will say no. Why? Uh, Peyton has but, no coaching experience, and but, the but center the center is the quarterback of the offensive. You know, calling see, a lot of the signals. I mean, see, you're thinking about a little more deeply than other than others. <laughs> but are. I mean, from your from a player's perspective, I, I, I'm thinking about it along your lines. What you just said there, I don't know. If people always understand the IQ of the center position, and that is not just the quarterback that is making checks, right? That it is a relationship between both of them and maybe we can dive a little bit more in that after we come back from a break man it has been polarizing that's for sure still waiting for that Col- uh, the colts decision on their head coach wouldn't expect that until after the super bowl uh, the nfl doesn't want you uh, breaking big news in the days leading up to the super bowl so would expect that probably next week but uh, uh interesting for sure and we'll carry on that conversation and uh, a lot of other stuff what's going on with uh, aaron Rodgers? i mean this guy <laughs> is he is he worth the drama that he's bringing to right. the table every off season uh 
lot of good stuff coming up uh, today. Hey, we're going to have Clint Boyer on. I, I think Clint may be the biggest, other than Jimmy, may be the biggest Chiefs fan I know. Former NASCAR driver, NASCAR broadcaster. Uh, this guy is crazy. Uh, rolls with Eric Stone Street from Modern Family. All these guys, they you know they kind of have this little Chiefs mafia. Uh, we'll we'll have some fun with Clint a little bit later and. If you're a dad, uh, honest to goodness, I think this is one of the best father-son stories. Uh, you will not want to miss our guest coming up at uh, 2.30 this afternoon. So a lot of stuff going on, uh, plus Chris Denary talking about that Pacers game in Miami uh, later tonight. All that just ahead with Marlon Jackson. I'm Vince Welch, and 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. What up Wednesday with uh, Marlon Jackson. I'm Vince Welch. Good to have you uh, sharing a little bit of your day with us. What is up with Aaron Rodgers? I mean, he's he's a he's a different cat. I'll, I'll say that seems, seems like the word for him. So, a different so, type of dude. The Packers quarterback says he's going to go on a darkness retreat in a couple of weeks. Have you heard of uh, darkness? There's going to be a lot of people researching now, <laughs> looking up. We should check that away on on social media, Google, darkness retreat. So he's, what, what does that entail? No electricity. Uh, there's like a slot in the door where they'll put, you know, slip food into him. And it's just him, no electricity, um, where it's... He says when he comes out after I think what is it like three or four days? So this, so this isn't this isn't new. This, uh, this evidently, is, this it's is a something. Thing. This is it's something that he's done in the past. I wonder. I don't know if he's done it in the past, but I think others have. It's a thing, and he's like, well, then maybe so it, this is my. Is it? Cle- it must be cleansing, cleansing I, detoxing of the mind. Is is what I would think of when you you're you're seeking retreat isolation. And he, he says when he comes out, he's going to know. He's going to know whether he should retire, whether he's going to return to the Packers, or whether he's Kinda going to want to be traded to like and go fasting, somewhere else. Right? You know, with religion, sometimes fasting to get clarity yeah. on direction. He's trying to hear a word from God, maybe like <laughs> Aaron Rodgers. He, hey, he's, he's pulling out all the stops going into the offseason. He he is really trying to be as thorough as the Indianapolis Colts are right now with making making the right decision. Is is his drive? I mean, it seems like it's every. You can't argue his talent. Right? Oh no, he's he is. Is uber, the drama too much, or do good teams just accept it and be happy oh. to have him because he's so talented? They are not going to worry, and they're going to be happy to have that talent. You take Aaron Rodgers' <laughs> drama and all. They're going to take. The I'm not saying thing. that I would <laughs> the bad haircut and all. <laughs> not saying that I would, but NFL GMs they're going to look at that game film. They're going to look at that pedigree. They're going to look at the historical context of who Aaron Rodgers is and what he's been able to deliver. Even this year, got off on the wrong foot, an extremely slow start, but they came raging and roaring back by the end of the season, and he was a big part of that. I think it's it's, it's uh, questionable the type of teammate that he is in terms of how he manages the locker room and how demanding he can be. But the bottom line in sports is always W's, mm. wins. That that determines the decisions that are made. And some a lot of most of the time, I'm going to say people will overlook a lot 
if you win. Yeah, I mean, look at Kyrie Irving, right? I mean, all the problems that Kyrie has gone through or the baggage that he seems to bring, bring and there's yep. still somebody out there that, that wants him. Aaron Rodgers is is interesting because I mean, he doesn't have too many more years left. But What do you give him, two or three? Uh, two, or yeah, two max? But boy, he's, it's hard to deny that talent. But uh, the See, darkness retreat is, is something a little bit different, that's for sure. Hey, uh, coming back, Marlon Jackson. I'm Vince Welch. You're listening to 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back, uh, Marlon Jackson. I'm Vince Welch at Marlon J28. If you want to hit up Marlon on Twitter, and I'm at Vince Welch. Good to have an opportunity to sit with you. We were just talking yeah. about uh, Orange Theory. We kind of work out at the same place occasionally, and uh, and our, our different uh, workout routines. And as a former professional athlete, is it difficult to keep a level of conditioning that you find oh <laughs> appealing or appropriate? Yeah. Or? It, it is extremely difficult. What, what do you weigh now? Uh, I'm, I'm about probably 210, And you played at what? What was your play I played weight? about 198. So you're about 20 pounds, 15, yeah. 20 pounds yeah, heavier? I'm, I'm like about 12, 12 to 14 pounds uh, heavier than I was when I, when I played. And is yeah. that a good weight for you? Oh yeah, for me right here. Comfortable. Where I, where you're comfortable I, with what? Oh you're... yeah, yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm comfortable, and, and part of maintaining that comfort is making sure that I stay active. I think that's the, that's the most important thing that I've learned is that you have to keep moving as, as you as you get older. Like they say, if you don't move it, you're going to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> like like literal literally. And if you want to have, you know, you know, uh, the ideal health, right? As an individual. You got to keep moving with with you know your muscles and and cardio and just that variety, but I also balance it out with yoga as well to get my stretching and then get the work for my mind in my mind as well. Uh, what I think is interesting, and a lot of people may not understand this, is that um, you know what your weight is as a as a athlete or as a player, particularly I think in football. Um, some guys. Um, like an offensive lineman struggles to put on weight. You when know, they want to be that heavier. Was a, that was a Jeff Saturday. Yeah, Jeff Saturday put a lot of weight. The I think there's an interesting story about the Eagles right tackle Lane, Lane. Johnson, who is who's played the hurt. number one. I mean, I think hurt. he's the number one right tackle in the league. Yeah, yeah he, he is phenomenal. Well, he sort of suffered a torn adductor, a, a, at, a torn groin. Yeah, as what he he's played with a torn, which is should have had surgery. Should have had surgery. Will have surgery when yeah. the season's over. But that if he was a defensive back or a linebacker he wouldn't be able to play mm. like even if he probably if he played defensive line he would not be able to play with that injury anything that is explosive and change direction if you have a torn groin you can't do it you cannot move at the same pace which is phenomenal that he's doing it but i could see how we could still do it as a as a tackle but even as a tackle when you're when you're setting and you're, you're you're kick stepping, you're stepping back, and that end is coming off of the edge. It comes a point where there's going to be conflict, a confrontation of I have to stop this individual, and with that, there's a thrust of energy that you need to utilize to stop them. And I would think on those plays, that would be extremely painful to be to go through. Mm. It's interesting because you know he's uh, he's a ten year vet. I mean, the guy's been around. Uh, Lane Johnson talking about the Eagles' right tackle, uh, thirty two years old, but he's six six, and his body weight he says naturally is about three ten, but he wanted to be three thirty, and he just couldn't put the weight on and keep it on. So he 
he connected with a guy named Sam Efforting, who um, is kind of the author and creator of this nutritional, the vertical diet, it's called. An interesting article in The Athletic by Zach Berman. But Efforting put Lane Johnson on a 5,500-calorie-a-day calorie, yeah, diet. Load up those, those 5, calories. 5,500 calories. So this is, uh, if, you wa- if you watch Game of Thrones... Uh, Thor Bjornsson, the guy that plays the mountain, uh, he's he works with efforting as well to stay as big, to put on that. But 5,500 calories a day. I mean, that's almost like a job to eat that much, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure. He's he's probably constant. He's probably eating at least minimum five times. Because they say, what, 2,000 calories is 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 a a normal, normal... Normal, di- yep, normal diet, but it, it, with him and being an athlete and all of the calories that are being burned with your workouts from from practice to lifting weights to your cardio work, you're you have a high metabolism. You're always burning, so you do have to fuel up a lot. But then that's the thing when you're done, you can't you can't put on or put in as many calories as you were when you're playing because your level of um working out decreases dramatically so if you continue to eat at that same rate you'll find yourself <laughs> he'll you be know, 430 when he gets for, done and you won't be recognizable <laughs> everybody will be looking at you like huh, what like who are who is that that's that's lame yeah <laughs> and that to have that balance of protein and, and fats and carbs and all that stuff has got to be yeah, it's a science it's, 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 a science. it's literally mean, a science yeah, it's a literally a science because when, when i when i played i started going through my injuries you know i've I've torn both my ACLs, both of my Achilles. I've shoulder, hip, abdomen. I'm at about 10 to 11 surgeries. Mm. But when, when you start doing that, you start to look for methods, right, and legal methods, right, where it's it's diet, right? It's chiropractic work. It's it's hyperbaric chambers. It's uh, infrared saunas. Like, it's, it's all these measures that you take to heal your body, right, and but diet is a critical part where, you know, I when I played, I utilized a diet that was utilized by uh, Dwight Freeney, where they literally, they would test your blood, they would see what foods fits best with your system in terms of a reaction, inflammation, swelling on the body. Um, and whatever foods you had reactions to, you would strip away all those foods and you would start back and add one by one different foods to see if you have a reaction until you had a diet where you don't have any reaction in, in terms of inflammation on your on your body, which allows you to be able to heal. Inflammation is what keeps you sick. Inflammation is what slows down the healing process. And it, it's all about reducing inflammation. But a lot of the foods that we eat as Americans cause inflammation. Well, and that was one of the things that Lane Johnson said uh, in regards to this 5,500 calorie diet. He said, I I would eat, but I was eating the wrong thing. So I was constantly feeling bloated and uh, And feeling slow and and tired and absolutely. (laughs) And said, so uh, when this uh, Sam Efforting and the vertical diet came came to uh, fruition for him and and he got connected to it, he started eating cleaner and all those things that you were talking about. And he said, now I don't feel... Like you I'm like carrying junk. around an extra twenty pounds, and it is. It's, it's, that's the funny thing about just being in America. Like they'll, they'll. They, we like it organizations super will, they will, and they won't tell us what it is, <laughs> and we still eat it. Like it's called junk food. Yeah, literally called junk food, but we still 
will eat just all of it. Oh, and, I had Mexican last night. I can tell you, I just ate way more than I. I mean, I had a I, plate I made, full of food, and I was like, I should not, but I'm gonna. It was Taco Tuesday at the Jackson House yeah. last night. I made, I made I made tacos and bean dip and rice, and I and I had the cake. We had the queso, and everything, you know. So I, I'm I'm with you. I'm, that must I'm be a theme. So my wife and I went to dinner with my mom and dad last night, and it was Taco Tuesday with them. We went go, to a Mexican place and had fun. It was uh, it was good stuff, man. Hey, um, I want to hit a couple of other NFL things with you. We talked about Aaron Rodgers and the Pro Bowl and uh, the rivalries, etc. Uh, what do you what do you make of Sean Payton going to the Broncos? And now Russell Wilson had the tough season, uh, very uncharacteristic uh, for his career. And uh, but evidently Russell's got some some personal coaches that yeah. are around. An entourage. Yeah. yeah. And um, Sean Payton said no. And I, that's, and I think, that's not going to happen. I think one of the guys is one. Is he he worked with Michael Jordan. He worked. He's worked with Kobe Bryant. Um, and he's a, a mental, emotional, physical wellness coach, and as, as well as he must have had some other guys around him with the technical skills. But I like it. Like you know, it, you but, like having the other guys around, I, or you I like, like Sean, Payton Sean Payton saying no, coming in and saying we're not going to have all of the extra. He said it's as a players part of the package and our staff Be, because no extras. You don't, and but this is a part of. The self-reflection that Russell Wilson needs to do and to look back on what worked and what didn't work in the experiment of this past season. How was I received by my teammates, right, with my with my production, with my play, and then all the off-the-field things, right, you know, having – and these are some of this is just hearsay in terms of it's, it sounded like he had it in his own individual office in the building, mm. right? You have your own office as a player? Ugh. Guys are gonna be looking at you side yeah. <laughs> sideways, like, okay, teammate. Yeah, because oh, you're all I, supposed I, you, to be in it together, you're right? Exe- you're an executive now. Yeah. You, not only do you have a locker, you have an office. Oh, you also have your own personal nutritionist. Oh, you have your own. But would any of that stuff have mattered if they'd have gone thirteen and three and no. you know fourteen and three no. and be, would be playing in the Super Bowl? Nope. We wouldn't be talking it, it about that. But 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 because things did not go well, right? And there seemed to be a drop off. In his performance, I think that's the major thing. There, they didn't play well, but he didn't play well. Right. Like, and they didn't play well. He was a big reason, big part of that. And now there's offensive coordinator, head coach that goes into that as well. Offensive line, but a part of it, even when there were plays there, Russell Wilson was not making the typical Russell Wilson throws. He wasn't elusive. He wasn't able to hit those big plays down the field. So what may have worked previously in Seattle did not work in Denver. So he has to look at the experiment and see what what were the results. And the results weren't good, so what needs to change? That's just a pure evaluation, right? You know, the, the organization is doing that, but each individual player, especially – a multi-million dollar QB that is owned hundreds of millions of dollars, you better do some soul searching and some evaluation so that you can come back next season. And I think I think that's part of where Sean Payton is coming from. It's just like a reset, mm-hmm. right? You know, we need to figure out what works and what doesn't work for Russell. So him and I need to be on the same page from day one. And a part of us being on the same page I can't have another coach in his ear saying something that may not align with what I'm trying to teach, right? And 
obviously there's a reason why Sean Payton has the job. He's won a Super Bowl. He's been extremely impactful in the NFL, working with Drew Brees and that relationship there. Phenomenal play caller. Now he's just trying to figure out how was Russ broken and trying to decide how can he put him back together. We had a little bit of this conversation earlier when we were talking about uh, would it have been viewed differently if the Colts would have named Peyton Manning as the interim coach versus Jeff Saturday, even though neither one of them have coaching experience. Um, How much does it matter that the coach, if he played the game in a Say the quarterback, say, say, we'll just use Peyton just for hypotheticals or Jeff Saturday, who's the quarterback of the offensive line. Fair yeah. to say. Um, so uh, take us inside the locker room and what does it mean to a player yeah. to have uh, somebody who's not coached before in the league, but or coached before period, but was a phenomenal player, knows the game, smart. Does it matter that you're being coached by someone who's not been a coach before? So I would say this is what matters in my in my opinion. You can have phenomenal talent and be a great player, but are you a great leader? That's the difference, and I, and I think people would be extremely enamored with. Peyton's talent, his ability, his IQ of the game, but then you would have to know, is he also a leader? In my experience, I would say yes. He was uber talented, but equally, he was just as great of a leader. And I would say the same thing with Jeff Saturday. Great talent as an offensive lineman, but also a very strong leader. I would say challenge or exceeds Peyton when it comes to leadership, right? So that's the key factor. It's not the talent that the individual had when they played. It's how were they received in that locker room? What was the culture and climate of that locker room? How did they contribute to that in a positive way? Did guys look to them in times of need? Right. Did coaches from a leadership from a leadership standpoint. Right. That's what matters most when you have a new coach coming in. You want to know what their track record is in terms of relationships and maintaining and building um, the relationships within an organization. Let me let me ask you. Let me ask you this. As a player, of course, you're defensive back. If is your relationship is it more important your relationship with the DB coach or more important a relationship with the head coach? Oh, the, I would say your DB, your DB, your coach. position coach, your position. That, that's who you like. It's who you spend the most time with, yeah. right? That that head coach is a manager, like uh, of the morale, of the vision, the direction the measurables that we're tracking for success as a team, as an offense, as a defense, as special teams. Um, and then they may have a specialty where they may spend more time. So it's from, from time to time, Coach Dungy would come in would be with the defensive backs, right? Or he would spend a lot of time with the defense overall because he was a defensive coordinator yeah. in the past. But he was also spend time with the quarterbacks as well because he played quarterback yeah. at the University of Minnesota. 
So I, th- I think that just varies depending upon the individual. Um, but, you know, as a leader, understanding that the relationships within the organization, the morale, that's where I would say things fell apart with the Colts this season and it probably started I would say before the morale and the The, confidence level the morale the belief I I I felt in terms of the inconsistent play there was a lack of belief um and the lead and the leadership right where you continue to see the same results year in and year out slow start we're going to be digging ourselves out of a hole and then when this year when you find yourself in the same predicament but but now you don't have the same offensive line play, which limits the production at running back, and you bring in an, a veteran QB that can only throw the ball and not run or create, you don't have the cohesion that you need to be successful. But a big part of it was a lack of what we saw, you know, consistent a uh, high level of competition and competing and follow through and and uh, good habits, right? We, we just saw week in and week out the team self-destruct, fall apart, and then we would see Frank at the podium apologizing for it again, which I love Frank Reich, and I know that he was capable, but you're almost doomed to fail when – we watch poor product and then you come and you shoulder it every mm-hmm. every week. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to eventually it's going to just fall right square on your shoulders, even though there are other factors that play into it. Yeah, the, they can't fire the players. <laughs> I mean, the coach is going to be the guy and, and he was the, the guy that was shown the door. But I'm glad Frank landed in Carolina. And I think yes, he's going to do a great, great opportunity great job. for him there. Um, Marlon Jackson with us. Uh, all-American in college, first-round draft pick, Super Bowl champion, played at Michigan for Lloyd Carr, first-round pick, played five seasons. You mentioned the 11 injuries, the 11 surgeries yeah. that you had. What The Achilles surgery kind of ended it for you, right, when you were in Philly? It, it was It was actually it, – it was um, – I had a sports hernia surgery even after I – so I, I, I tore my right Achilles um, – when I signed with the Eagles and NOTA OTAs in practice, but then I rehabbed. Well, that for was in 2010. Yes, think, right? and, I, yeah. and I rehabbed the entire year, and I came back going into that 2011, uh, 12 season. But then I, in training camp, I had a sports hernia, um, and from there I was released by the Eagles. And I never. What's I was the never, difference between a sports hernia and a regular hernia? Um, I think a regular hernia is kind of like the intestines, like starting to poke through your muscle wall so like some tearing in the muscle fibers in your abdomen where the sports hernia is where your groin muscle starts to tear away from the bone um in your leg painful um yeah it, it's it's eh. or or just keeps you from it's, being it's doing what you want it, to it's do very, it's nagging it, you're you're limited for a guy like me my strength yeah. was my speed uh and my agility I wasn't as, I wasn't as agile. I wasn't as as fast with so, that sports with with the, with the sports hernia. You know, it's amazing because you had uh, a couple of ACLs, right? Yep. And uh, one or two ruptured Achilles. Uh, three, three rup- 
but two two were after I was done done playing. Oh my play. goodness, because that to me the Achilles sounds like the most painful injury that one could have. I, so, so when you so ACL and Achilles, when you if you ever encounter that, you know what it is because it's like an explosion. The and with the ACL, it's a quick explosion that just poof, you feel it in your knee. And is it immediate pain? It's it's uh, emotional pain. Yeah, <laughs> not as because you've known what you've done, and this is going to be you know you know the road, but the, the road hurt, ahead. the the, the hurt, actual no, physical it, it's, pain. It's, more, it's it's after the throbbing, gotcha. the swelling. Where Achilles, it's very I'll say astonishing, just in terms of you know what it would occur if I I thought that I was I said who kicked me? Yeah, I've heard that. The people <laughs> like somebody think they've been hit by something in the back of the calf or something. I felt like yeah. I was kicked or hit. With the bat in the back of my in the back of my leg, so I immediately knew knew what what happened. Mm. Yeah, and I would think that from a professional athlete standpoint, that's got to be horrifying because not only do you know, okay, I'm hurt, but you know what's ahead of you. Well, and then imagine <laughs> before though, you can get back. Um, imagine when your the the previous two to three years have been filled with that. Yeah. So I really, you know, the last three years were injuries right you know i i tore my acl um against the pay the week of the patriots in practice my first one and i rehabbed came back played maybe four or so games the next season was effective but then in the middle of that season again get ready to play the patriots i tear my my other acl um then I get to that end of that season, and then um, you know, I actually recover faster, and I'm back to like running and things in six, seven months. I'm at full speed. I'm actually participating in the OTAs in Philadelphia. So not even a year fully out from that, then I tear my Achilles. Wow. So just you know, it was very deflating um, experiencing it, but you know that those losses and that adversity it builds confidence in like knowing that you can overcome things and that you'll be okay when difficulties occur and you have the mental fortitude to push through difficult times uh, jim are saying in the colts organization in general uh, the kick the stigma campaign you know about the mental, mental health, health and the challenges from a mental health standpoint i that just seems like that would be incredibly challenging yep. to not fall into depression or uh, have anxiety upon returning. All of those things. I mean, can is that an, as much of an issue as the physical? Or it, I think I, that's one of those things that differs from person to person, right? But I, I'm you know, guessing you've seen the full spectrum in your career of players and yourself, yep. maybe that's had to deal and with that kind of stuff. Y- yes, yes. What the thing is, is that's why it's called kicking the stigma because it's so it's silent. It's a, it's a silent killer. Like when people are struggling internally, they don't want anybody to know. Like there's shame in that. Um, there's worry and doubt in that. Um, but but for me personally, I always found something to fill that space. So with the the first ACL, all I did that off season was go to school and finish my 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 degree in rehab. So I, I finished, I finished, occupied your mind. I, fin- I had yeah. nine credits. Yeah. All I did was rehab and go to class online. So that, that occupied my mind. And then it was also, you know, progressing me forward in life overall. Right. You know, and then the same thing when in Philadelphia, when I tore my Achilles, 
I was in a city where I had the opportunity to spend time with a niece, my niece and nephew and Marco and Kenzie that I often didn't get to spend that much time with. So I got to coach my now nephew who's going to Kansas next year to, mm. as a point guard, right? He's a McDonald's all he's a McDonald's all American. Nice. But I coached him when he was six, six years old, his first year of playing tackle football. So it's just you have to fill fill that space, that emptiness with something that's going to be fulfilling. And that and that's that's a method that everybody could apply, you know, but it, it takes some self-awareness and it takes some some grit and some fortitude to be able to look around you and say, OK, I'm missing this right now. I can sit here and wallow in my pity or I can go and be productive in other areas for this time. You grew up in Pennsylvania, right? You're from yeah, Pennsylvania? Yeah, uh, Western Pennsylvania, Eastern Ohio. I was born in Youngstown, Ohio. Grew up and raised in Sharon, Pennsylvania. Uh, so is that Steelers, Browns, it's, Eagles? Oh, you, you just, yeah. you, well, you just, the first two that you said, it's yeah. either or. Yeah, and you were? <laughs> I was Steelers. Oh, Ron right. Woodson, yeah. Carnell Lake, right? You know, yeah. all all those guys. Neil O'Donnell. Yeah. Like, I was, I was um, watching... You know, the comeback kids, I think it was the Indianapolis Colts and Jim Harbaugh and Three River Stadium. I was at that AFC game. Yep. You, you, I was, I was watching yep. that. I watched it on TV yep. at home. So, yeah, I grew up major, major Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Yeah, well, you and I have that in common, you know, because I'm old enough that when I was a kid, uh, the Colts weren't here yet. So um, you had another team. So you know, who, you had who, was team. Your, who was your team? The Steelers, man. Oh, the Steelers. Oh, okay, the Steelers nice. were my group. <laughs> you know, but you, if you lived around here, you know, you either you rooted for the Bengals or the Bears or the Cardinals were in St. Louis back when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, so I mean, you because the Colts weren't here, so you rooted for. You know, you had your allegiance with another team, and and so um, what did you do? When the Colts came, and did, did, how did did they hey, did they win you over? Um, well, being in the media, yes, but being in the media, you know, you kind of you don't root, you know, so uh, you don't, you know, you're covering the game, you're covering the team, you're not a fan anymore. It's one of the things that really, to be honest with you, really. Uh, took a lot away from my enjoyment of particular sports that I watch because I don't watch as a fan anymore. I watch mm. almost from a critical eye, whether it's the broadcast or the way the game is unfolded, etc. But more than anything, I just want another, I want a good game. But that said, the two teams, you know, always obviously focusing on what the Colts have done and you kind of break that down into the minutia of the game and etc. The only other team I really do that with is the Steelers yeah, still today? Yeah, yep. So, um, and one of my, you know, when I was a kid, Franco was my guy. Oh, you yeah, know? Franco Harris. And um, I was Rest at an peace. I was at an event um, about two years ago, and I had the op- and Franco was there, and we were down in Nashville, and I had the opportunity to um, tell you know speak with him and let him know, and and um, and it was a Fox broadcast, a lot of Fox broadcast people there. And so it was a pretty small event. So it wasn't like fanboy kind of thing. But I told him, I was like, man, you were my guy, you know, yeah, yeah. and uh, he could not have been more gracious more friendly, more uh, just more. That's what you hear about Franco, Franco oh, Harris, man. and he even was... watching a football life a little bit and his his story and getting to learn a little bit more about him and his his deep connection to the the city, city of, of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh yeah. and 
Just yeah. the humble, mm. selfless, like individual that he was. And I, I think that that's the fun part about like sports is to hear the the underlying story, the backdrop of the life yeah. of the individuals. And then when you get to learn, like, yeah, I, I love what they do on the field, but even more so, like I love the type of person that yeah. the individual is. That's what makes fun makes sports so uh, ingrained in our, in our culture and holds a special plate in our hearts in our hearts emotionally, right? You know, even with having that interception, like it, people always talk about what they felt in the moment. Like you could probably remember the immaculate reception. Like what did you what you felt? I do. Like when yeah. that occurred, and my grandmother was hollering at me. Look, look at Quiet that. down! Look, look, what are you screaming about? But like that's a that's a memory that you have, which which is awesome. What sports are all about? Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people have that about your interception of Brady in the AFC Championship game that sent the Colts to the Super Bowl. Good stuff, Marlon Jackson. I'm Vince Welch. This is uh, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. With Marlon Jackson, I'm Vince Welch. Great to have you with us on this Wednesday. Pacers in action tonight down in South Beach. You know, taking on the Miami Heat. Heat four games above 500. Pacers five games under. And we bring in Chris Denary, who is, uh, I'm guessing, poolside. Chris, is that right? Would that be fair to guess or not? No, that would not be fair. I'm sitting here in my uh, hotel room. Uh, just got back from shoot around. It is very nice here. Uh, sunny, a little cloudy, but uh, temperatures in the mid 70s. So, oh boy. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, when I left Indianapolis yesterday, when I drove out of my house uh, at, in Carmel, I mean, it was. It was nice out. I mean, I didn't have to wear a jacket or, you know, for February to go to the airport and not have a jacket on. It felt great. So I don't know what it is today. My wife said it was sunny. So yeah, it's um, pleasant for a winter day. I'll take it yeah. for winter. I'll take yeah. it for winter in Indianapolis. Hey, it's been a long time since the Pacers won on the road. Uh, and I th- wasn't the last road win at Miami. Yes. Yes. It was uh, two days before Christmas right here. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton scored a career-high 43, had a career-high 10 threes, and hit a three from uh, another county, not Dade, uh, in that one, to to win at 111-108. So, yes, uh, the last road win is here in Miami. Anything from shoot-around? You said you just got back from shoot-around. Anything from that that stood out that uh, we should be keeping our eye on or uh, listening for tonight? No, I mean, this group is in good spirits. I mean, you know, it's it's been a tough run. Uh, you know, they were 23-18 and 18 at the halfway mark of the season. They've lost 12-14. of 14. Um, You know, tough homestand, lose that last-second heartbreaker to the Lakers, and then you beat Sacramento, and then, boy, Cleveland had a great weekend. They came in and, uh, you know, beat the Pacers pretty handily Sunday, Sunday and then went to Washington and, and had a big win on Monday. So, but but this is a group that I mean they they are so bonded together they try to stay very very positive even when things are are not going your way so I mean I think they know that you know this is a, a real opportunity I mean Miami has a lot of guys out I mean Victor Oladipo's out with injury Kyle Lowry's out but they still have their big three Jimmy Butler Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo all average better than twenty points per game so uh, they're they're hanging on Miami is right now to the sixth spot. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, which is the last playoff spot. Indiana right now is 10th, 
Um, that's the final play-in spot uh, as we start. Uh, it's hard to believe, guys. We start the final third of the season mm. tonight. Wow. Uh, 55 games in the books and uh, 27 left. So with, with that stretch coming up, what do you think is going to take for the Pacers either to maintain or climb up that those rankings that may be able to get into the playoffs? Yeah, I was just making some notes here. I mean, one of the things that they've really struggled, and it, it really hurt when Halliburton went out for that 10-game stretch, is their offense just hasn't been the same as it was. I mean, if you go back to that stretch where they won uh, 8 of 10, I mean, they were averaging 119 points a game, shooting 48% from the field and nearly 40% from three. Um, if you look at the last 14, their scoring is down, their shooting is down. And so as much as you want to pin things on offense or on defense, uh, it, I, you know, they just haven't been as efficient offensively as you'd like to see. And especially um, in late-game situations, I mean, this has been – uh, through the better part of the you know first fifty plus games, they were the best fourth quarter team in the NBA, and those numbers have gone away. Um, you know, you, you think back to uh, at Milwaukee a couple of weeks ago in Memphis uh, against the Lakers when they had a double figure lead. They've really struggled in fourth quarters, and so um, I, I look at as much as we always want to pin. You know, hey, you got to be better defensively. You know, this team's got to find a way to be better offensively. I think that will take a lot of pressure off their defense. Rely too much on Halliburton in those instances, or does he, I've thought a couple of times, maybe he tried to do too much in those instances. Is that a, a delicate balance? Yeah, I think so, because you, you definitely want him aggressive, and, and his teammates believe in him. And so I think if you if you look at the total of the season, um, they have a better than 500 record in, in what we call clutch games. And, and clutch is uh, plus or minus five points, five minutes to go. They've played 34 of those this year. That's tied for third most in the NBA. Uh, they've got 18 wins. That's tied for fifth most in the NBA. So if you look at you know the totality of the season, they've really been pretty good in late-game situations. It's It's been – you know, they had a stretch uh, in mid-December where they lost a couple in a row. And, and then here lately, uh, you know, they've, they've lost a couple. But I think for the most part, uh, if they've been in that situation, they have found ways to win games. And that definitely is an improvement over what we saw last year. I mean, last year, it just seemed game after game after game. They, they were always in it, but they couldn't win them. Uh, I think they've improved in that situation this year if you look at the, the entire season. Pacers and the Miami Heat tonight visiting with Chris Denary. So as you look at the roster and you understand the impact of Halliburton on this roster, what do you feel is missing in, in terms of to get to that consistently competitive level where even if you're missing Halliburton, we still can string together wins? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one thing, you know, this group is still so young. I mean, you're you're looking at a couple of guys that have been in and out of the rotation of late at the four or the backup five, and that's Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith. And it, those guys are only 22 years old. And so um, I, I think a lot of what we're seeing is just growth opportunities and maturing and, and figuring out, you know, what it's like to be in that situation. Case in point, you know, I was watching LeBron, you know, become the all-time leading scorer last night, and he did it in a loss against a very young Oklahoma City team that was 
on a bright stage and their coach sort of challenged them to say, Hey, you know, let's see what you guys can do. You know, young guys and the young guys played pretty well last night. Uh, they won the game. Uh, so I, I think a lot of it is just continuing to see the growth and putting these guys in these types of situations. Um, you know, the one thing that, you know, Kevin Pritchard has said is as you look to the summer, I mean, they've got a great opportunity with cap space uh, to be in the free agent market. Um, You know, they've got three first-round draft picks no matter what happens, theirs, Boston's, and Cleveland's. So they have a lot of opportunity, you know, to to do some things, you know, depending on what they want to do. But I think for this group, it's it's just continuing to figure out and and put yourself in position – uh, you know, to win games. I, I think the the real good thing that's come out of the last couple of weeks was, uh, you know, the signing of Miles Turner and, and getting him extended, knowing that he'll be here. And if you look at Miles' numbers, I mean, they are career numbers. I mean, his last eight games, he's had five 20-point games. I think he's had five double-doubles. I, I really am proud of him because I think he's risen to the challenge. and He wants to be here. He wants to be a partner with Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin as they sort of rebuild this franchise and 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 get the Pacers back to where they feel that they're supposed to be. You know, and um, and and Chris, you you said something there that I think is is often overlooked. He wants to yeah. be here, <laughs> yeah. and that yeah. is critical. I mean, yes. you yes. you know that he has bought in to this young and miles is only i think 26 himself so i mean he's been around a while but the, he's still a young guy the why what, yeah. he, what chris said yeah. why yeah. he wants to be yeah. around because of that young yeah. nucleus of talent yeah uh, that yeah, said it miles is a special guy i mean if you if you got to know him and know his parents i mean they really like what indianapolis has done for for miles and and his family so yeah you're right you're right vince Somebody wants to be here. That that's big. Yeah, because there's a lot of guys that have rolled rolled through here, and they've had they're, their eyes on a brighter here, star. Maybe. And uh, and I think it takes somebody special to to see an opportunity and and yeah. not chase the shiny object. So I I'm glad the Pacers did uh, indeed secure Miles for a while. Chris, you mentioned the the cap space, the three first round draft picks. I mean, there's a lot of flexibility. Uh, the uh, trade deadline looms. That's uh, Thursday, right? Yeah, tomorrow. Uh, yep. Do you anticipate? Yeah, tomorrow, three o'clock. Uh, do you anticipate uh, the Pacers standing pat, or uh, what's the chances? Give us a give us a percentage on the Pacers doing something here before the trade deadline tomorrow. I could potentially see them doing something along the edges, but but I, I really feel like Kevin Pritchard likes the group that he has. Um, you know, he's seen some very positive things now. You know, here of late, you know, losing twelve of fourteen is is tough to see. But, but I think I think it's the big picture that they're not they're not going to rush into anything. I mean, you have the summer uh, to potentially look at at, at what you want to do for next year. So it's pretty quiet right now. I mean, we're approaching what twenty four hours in the NBA. Um, you know, we've had a couple of things happen. The Kyrie Irving thing, Rui Hashimura going from Washington to the Lakers. We've had some minor deals here or there. But I, I would anticipate that across the NBA, I think there will be some, you know, pretty substantial deals tomorrow. But just not sure really 
you know, what the Pacers see out there or if they want to do anything right now. Uh, LeBron broke the scoring record, broke Kareem's scoring record. Um, what was uh, the kind of the, the water cooler conversation around shoot around today about that last night? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, so many of these guys, I mean, they're in their 20s. and They don't remember I mean, Kareem like us old guys. No, no, I mean, I mean, think about it. I'm, I'm looking at this roster. LeBron's been in the league 20 years. Oh, wow. Benedict Matherin is 20. Nemhard is 22. Tyrese is 22. Mm, wow. So when, Le, when mm, LeBron wow. started his career, these guys were infants. Mm. And, and <laughs> Diapers, so literally. They, yeah, they grew up. I mean, that's what's crazy about it, guys. They grew up watching him, and now they're playing, playing against, him. against him. So it's – yeah, it was a phenomenal thing to watch last night and to see him do it in the third quarter. I mean, I kept thinking, what if it – you know, they had said, look, if it happens in the fourth quarter in the final three minutes of a close game, we're not stopping it. we got to play the game. So it was, it was cool that it happened at the end of the third quarter so they could sort of stop the game and have a big celebration, bring Kareem on the floor. Uh, yeah, it was pretty special. Yeah, and uh, and and I I did I thought that too. We made the comment earlier. It was a pretty cool. I, I liked that visual of Kareem handing the ball to LeBron and the the symbolism that that created. And uh, you know, Kareem broke Wilt Chamberlain's record uh, back in 1984. Kareem was 37 at the time. Chamberlain had set that mark back in '66. So I mean, it had been a long time, 38 years since that record had been broken, and uh, certainly was uh, was was interesting to see and and i thought and we played it earlier and talked about it chris i know you'll appreciate that i thought brian anderson had a great call on the tnt telecast of it he he said what he needed to say but he didn't get in the way of it absolutely a ba is so good i mean i've gotten to know him over the years longtime major league baseball broadcaster and really has come into the nba uh the last number of years but you're right you, you know vince we've been in situations like that you in racing you in basketball me and you 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 know, while you don't script anything, you still got to know, you got to anticipate, hey, what what is going to happen when this happens? So, yeah, I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, that time. clip will be played forever. Yeah. You know, like Hank Aaron's, you know, yep. uh, 715th uh, or, you know, DiMaggio, you know, what a, you know, just pick the great all-time great records. And those broadcast calls last forever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought he, I thought he hit the nail right on the head. It was terrific. Uh, Chris, yeah. uh, appreciate the time, brother. All right, thanks, guys. Take care. Yeah, the same. That's Chris Denary, uh, television voice of the Pacers. Pacers in Miami to take on the Heat tonight. And uh, of course, you hear that right here at ninety three five one zero seven five, the fan as well with the voice of the Pacers, Mark Boyle. Hey, coming up at two o'clock, we're going to uh, kind of shift to a little bit of a fandom uh, Super Bowl deal with Clint Boyer, the former NASCAR driver, currently NASCAR broadcaster, but uber super fan of the Chiefs, and uh, uh, we'll have some fun with Clint coming up at two o'clock and then at 2 30 a father-son super bowl story that that you won't want to miss and uh, i'm really looking forward to this chat that we're going to have at uh, 2 30 so stay with us marlon jackson i'm vince welch you're listening to 93.5107.5 the fan whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about kaskali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if kaskali is right for you with Marlon Jackson, I'm Vince Welch, Jimmy Cook, our producer. Thanks for spending some time with us uh, today. Of course, big weekend, Super Bowl coming up. And um, the Colts still 
trying to figure out maybe they have figured it out but uh haven't announced it yet and, yeah. and the league yeah. doesn't like you making big announcements no before the super bowl before the super bowl so um, can't, can't steal that shine yeah don't expect that to happen yet this week but maybe the beginning of next week do you have a as a former player do you have a guy that's kind of stood out to you um i mean raheem morris sounds mm. sounds like a, yeah. a good candidate and uh brian callahan i think those are the two for me that i felt like you know, especially and even Raheem Morris with Brian Callahan. I think the last time I was on, we were talking to a beat writer in Cincinnati, and he was talking about the impact of Callahan in Cincinnati on the locker room, on the quarterback position, on the offense overall, and and just hearing how guys respond to him and his leadership abilities and in his IQ as as well um, from an offensive standpoint. You know and Hearing that, but in aligning with the needs of this organization currently, where you know you're going to have a new quarterback drafted, we hope coming coming in top pick um, that's going to need a lot of development, that's going to need a lot of support, and, and then just as an organization overall, the Indianapolis coach, what is the direction strategically that you want to go in with your leadership? Do you want more of an offensive-minded coach or more of a defensive-minded coach? I think you you think you lean towards the offensive mind because you you have things solidified with the defensive coordinator and, and Gus Bradley, who's being blocked right now from going <laughs> from opportunities to speak to other things. So if you're holding him hostage, don't put another coach that's the same caliber of skill set. In your in your wheelhouse, do the Colts not really wanting, not giving Gus Bradley permission to go out and, and interview? Does that lead you to believe that maybe they're going with an offensive minded guy as the head coach? Well, I mean, versus a defensive minded guy who's maybe wants his own coordinator or have his own thumbprint on the defense? Right now, when we're all trying to read in between the lines, <laughs> I would say, I would say yes. I mean, yeah. just in what we're seeing in you know being speculative, understanding the needs of the organization. What's currently in the cupboard, um, yeah. where the cupboard is, is bare. And then if you look at that and say, hmm, well, they obviously want to retain Gus Bradley if they're blocking him from take from interviewing from other jobs and knowing that they want to retain him and he's possibly one day possibly a head coach candidate. Well, then that must mean that we're leaning more towards an offensive mind because when you look at this season – the success was mainly on the defensive side of the ball. And I would say with McLaughlin at the kicker, it was with special teams as well. Those were the only bright spots for this. <laughs> and so there, there was, a, you know, you, 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 you spoke about, you spoke about, about Aaron Rodgers' darkness yeah. retreat. Well, that darkness retreat was with the off coach offense the entirety of the season. There was no light coming into that quarterback room or that offensive line room. Yeah, I, I and I like uh, Raheem Morris as well. I, I, I would go I, Shane Steichen, the Eagles offensive yeah, coordinator. Yes, yeah, I really – he would – you know, and I don't know. I mean, I'm not in those meetings. You know, none of us are in those interviews. We don't know how they've all unfolded, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're just, you know, from a 10,000-foot view. I like Steichen, you know, from what he's uh, been able to do in Agreed. Philadelphia. You know, Agreed. last year they, you know, they changed up the, you know, they were struggling two and five. They changed up kind of the offense. They kind of built it around Jaylen Hurts Hertz. instead of trying to fit the square peg into the round hole. And so they changed. He started doing the play calling, and they started – they made some pretty significant 
significant changes behind Steichen. That is the that that's those are the traits of good coaching, yeah. where I, I have a system that I really want to utilize, but I look at my talent on my roster. And I don't try to conform them to me, but I conform to them. And that is a great sign. But then also, like you said, I agree with that as well in terms of that coaching candidate. Um, But that will be telling as well the coaches they bring in, which quarterback are they going to target in the draft, right? If, 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 you know, Shane's coming in, is it more of the dual threat? Does that lead us more towards the Alabama quarterback, or is that more of the Kentucky quarterback? Will um, we, we, in thirty seconds? Bryce Young is he too small? He's five ten. That is the knock on him, but I'm going to look at his production. Like he, he, he I mean, is, you're, you played in the league. He is slight. He's five ten. He's slight, but yeah. if he is slight and he's crafty and he's smart. He'll reduce those hits that he can possibly take because he will not last very long mm-hmm. if he's being hit consistently in a National Football League. So it's a Will Levies that that maybe the Colts really you know want here, or is it C.J. Stroud? Yeah. You know, those are the questions that we may have a little more clarity around as we hire that head coach and see what's the history related to that that head coach that has that offensive mind. Boy, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's going to be a fun rest of the month here in Indianapolis, I think, because we are going to get the Colts. So uh, intriguing. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of questions answered and asked here in the next couple of weeks. 93.5-1075, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome back, along with former Colts defensive back Marlon Jackson. I'm Vince Welch. Of course, the Super Bowl coming up this weekend. Uh, it's going to be fun. Eagles and the Chiefs. And the biggest Chiefs fan I know is uh, on the line with us now. That's Clint Boyer, former NASCAR driver, currently in the uh, broadcast booth for Fox. And Clint, I know uh, you're going to wear that Chiefs jersey proud, right? Oh, you know the biggest thing, the biggest decision is which which jersey. Yeah, which jersey <laughs> will you wear? Are, are you gonna be like Jimmy today, who has on the the, the bright yellow Chiefs <laughs> Kingdom jersey representing yeah, Patrick our, Mahomes? Our producers uh, got the uh, the yellow Chiefs jersey on today, but you got to go with the red, don't you? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Especially, uh, yeah, absolutely. Rolling with red. Um, Here's the thing. Probably the the best way I've ever seen anybody take you know on that task was Rusty Rush, my old Rush Truck Center's partner uh, and sponsor in my Cup car. Um, huge Astros fan, and what he would do is, why would you pick? He just wore the whole lineup jersey <laughs> as they went down the lineup. He changed his jersey. He actually made his video went viral online. But I'm not going to go to that. So this is what old Clint does. Clint has a god-awful, ugly sports jacket that he bought, you know, one of those loud ones with Chiefs Arrowhead all over the Kansas City, right, KC, all over it, just vomited all over it, but it's it's (laughs) awesome. And I only bring that jacket out when my team gets the Super Bowl. Well, let me tell you, boys, this thing's starting to look pretty haggard, so 
Um, that will definitely be on me. I'll probably have my Kelsey jersey on or a Sunday fun day t-shirt. That's kind of my go-to at the Super Bowl. That's, that's what I run. Now, uh, the game starts pretty late in the evening. Are you going to be, you still going to be upright by then or you kind of have to what, pace yourself? What does the day look like? What is, what, is it a celebration all well, day? Well, boys, you bring up a good point. Here, here's <laughs> the thing about the Super Bowl. By the time you get to the game, kind of like a NASCAR cup race, yeah. you know, by the time you get, if, if say you, you went and camped out tailgating with all your buddies, uh, in the infield of a race in a Winnebago, by the time the race starts, you have endured two or three days of mass chaos. Yeah, party. No different. Yeah. Massive parties, you know, one after another. You can't turn any of them down. Any hot act in the history of Earth plays, so you can't. You got. You can't miss. You know, I, 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 I have severe FOMO in any kind of condition like this. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to all of them, and I'm probably going to be not in the best of shape, um, <laughs> but I'm going to be there, and I will be watching. And uh, watching from a suite, I presume, right? Or do you sit no, out no. with? Are you sit out in the fan in the stands with the fans? Damn right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't. You you're, can't legit. you're legit. You're like, legit, Boyer. Being this serious, you got to get out there with the Warriors. You got to get out there in the elements and understand what's going on. You can't can't be distracted with conversations. And this things like that. that, that people <laughs> yeah, that sweet life. Yeah, yeah. Like you need to. You need to. You got to focus, right? You got to focus on the task at hand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it blows my mind. You go to a Super Bowl, right? Tickets are through the roof. I think I saw like the cheapest tickets, like I don't know, forty six hundred bucks or something for, for maybe you know, some medium to lower level. And uh, you know, and the first thing they do is is go and conversate. You'll see them in the you know, in the hallways and stuff like that and talking and, and interrupting one another. Like, how do you spend that much money to go to a game and not be paying attention? Yeah. This is a, this is a battle, boys. It's a war, and I will be I will be in, in game mode. Yeah, that's a, we were having the conversation earlier about, uh, you know, when you watch the game on TV and, you know, so many people have Super Bowl parties and stuff. And I might go there early, but when the game starts, I want to be at home watching the game because yeah, uh, I got to yeah. watch the game, and I can't be doing that if I'm, you know, if there's socializing going on. And great, I'm, I'm a homebody, and I, I'm locked in, like you know, limited, limited conversation, enjoying the game. Um, but yeah. yes, you, you, you like to focus, especially with a game that is at the magnitude of the Super Bowl. It, it is the pinnacle of the National Football League, so we have to pay close attention and enjoy. Here's the only thing that sucks about the Super Bowl, too. I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll, let's start over. You know, when when you're fortunate enough to have a team that tends to go quite often, such as me and the Chiefs, <laughs> you're spoiled. You you go to the Super Bowl, and it's not like Arrowhead where it's 95 percent, you know, Chiefs fans. You don't have to worry about some schmuck sitting next to you and and bothering you with, oh, with yes. some sort of opponent team at Super Bowl. I mean, there's a blend. Most of them are going to be Chiefs fans, obviously, the ones with any intelligence. But there's a chance that an old some eagle might. You know, you know, you're with the feisty bunch. Oh, the Eagle fans are loud and proud too. Feisty bunch, those Philadelphia Eagle fans. So just be safe, right? Let let's (laughs) let's use our conflict resolution. You got a big (laughs) you got a big guy going with you, Clint, to uh, keep. You know, are you Eric Stone Street? You're not taking him or with you for security, are you? 
so he will definitely be there. Speaking of Warriors, he's there, battle-tested. Um, he'll be there. All the guys, man, that's what's cool about, you know, the Kansas City area. I mean, I didn't grow up in Kansas City, but right outside of it. And tons of friends there. And it's just, I will say this. I've been to other ballparks. I've been to, you know, obviously live in North Carolina. I've been to the Panthers. And, and the number one takeaway from all of it that I have to tell people, I'm like, you really don't even understand what, what the atmosphere is all about. It's no different than a NASCAR race. You know, it can't just be a race. It has to have the atmosphere, and the fan base creates that atmosphere. The tailgating scenario that, that only Arrowhead produces because of that massive parking lot that it shares with Kaufman, it, it's, it's insane. I mean, I've seen people not even make it to the games before. <laughs> it, it, it is all hands on deck, wide open chaos. The only one in my that would even remotely come close to a Chiefs fan base would be, you know, the maniacs up in Buffalo. They know how to do it. They, yeah. they, they, I, I, I'm a little, I, I at least respect that one. But I think these Philly team, you know, these, these Philly guys, I, I, the biggest thing is for me, I want them to keep chirping, keep chirping because for some reason that fuels a fire with our boys. And the last two teams that come in to chirp and went home with two of their tail between the legs. Oh, and you know, and you chirp pretty well yourself. I mean, we're you know, <laughs> that's part of the fun, though, isn't it? Hundred percent. It 100%. is. So no, who's going with me? To go back to your question is my wife, and she'll either be telling me to oh stop, stop, you know, the whole game, or be be egging me on you know them why so yeah i'd you like know, to have a i'd like to have a 10 spot that they're, they're telling you you're embarrassing them the <laughs> next thing you know somebody chirps one over some comment over your way and they're like oh yeah now they're on your side yeah i'd like to have a 10 spot for every time she says clint stop it <laughs> <laughs> we're visiting with clint boyer a uh, former nascar driver and uh, current nascar broadcaster for fox and uh, super uber Cadence a City Chiefs fan, and uh, I know looking forward to uh, going to the game in uh, in Arizona this weekend. I saw that um, you know the Super Bowl, and, and this fits right in with you, brings the Super Jet Setters as well. More than four thousand additional takeoffs and landings yeah. around the the airports big, there in uh, Phoenix. Over a thousand private planes expected. Who all are you taking on your G five with you? I uh, I sold my plane, believe it or not. So man, I'm I'm slumming. I'm I'm with everybody else. I'm taking uh, the good coach, old fashioned American Airlines. Oh, you uh, are not. Yes, yes, uh, I'm rolling. I kind of like that anyway on a deal like this because it's just part of like the experience. Said, well, I flew to Kansas last time, and we had all these. You know, there were Jacksonville fans, for, and then they were. There were Cincinnati fans, and oh my gosh, they run their mouth the whole time, the whole flight there. You know how quiet that plane was other than Oakland on the way home? That was fun. Now, if something would have happened and we lost, there's no chance. I'd have chartered a plane. Oh, and uh, if uh, presuming, we'll, we'll presume, uh, you know, for your sake that the Chiefs win, do you uh, get the invite to the Chiefs postgame celebration party? Well, the last time we won in Miami, and that's I posted it on Twitter the other day, and I didn't realize what I had done. It was me in, in Stone Street. Stoney was at the post party, and we were we were getting 
Yeah, the old hourglass was getting pretty thin on the top, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and, and for I those that, and for those that don't know, Eric, six thirty in the morning, I was like, six thirty. And for those that don't, Eric Stone Street plays uh, Cam on Modern Family. You know, you'd know him. Mean, huge, huge Chiefs fan, and and uh, it looks like the two of you might be able to get in a little trouble. Oh yeah, Stoney's a good guy. We have a lot of fun. Just massive talent and extremely funny. Um, Kansas guy, you know, went to K-State and, and drove through my part of the country a lot and just, you know, share that in common, the love of our, our state, and love of our teams. And and um, both of us are capable of, believe it or not, having a good time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, is he funny? I always wonder about this. Like, people that are funny on TV, I mean, he's obviously a very successful actor, Modern Family, incredible show. He's got a great, plays a great character on there. But are f- people that are funny on TV for their real job yeah. in real life, do they, is he s- still funny? He's similar. Well, here's the thing. I've been on the road a long time. You know that yeah. a lot of people, and, and it, that's a valid question. Every once in a great moon, you'll come across somebody that you think, man, they were just so funny, but it was it all scripted? Was it all wrote? Every now and then you'll see that. But if somebody's making a living in comedy and, and moreover making a living in live comedy on television, they're pretty damn funny. <laughs> My man, Eric, he will have you in shambles. He's quick. He's witty. And I mean, that's just they're they're the best. You know, that's why they're on TV. Hey, speaking of funny, uh, watching The Clash the other night, you and uh, Tony Stewart, Mike Joy in the booth and Gwen Stefani is in there with you and. Uh, was Stewart did did was he dumbfounded or what? I've never heard Tony a loss seen Tony a loss for words. Well, buddy, we so Blake and Gwen they come. You know, Blake's a huge race fan, supported me over the years, and Blake Shelton and uh, Gwen Stefani came last year. Knew she was coming again this year. She liked it. Um, dug the race a year ago and wanted to come back. So I thought that was really cool. We always have Blake on. He always makes fun of me. I didn't want to have Blake Shelton on anymore. <laughs> I knew what was going to happen. He was going to make fun of me. So Such I an said, easy target, though. You're out. <laughs> I would like to have – and I last I checked, it's like Beauty and the Beast. Nobody wants to see that. They want to see her. They want to see her. I said, Gwen, what do you think? We come on. Just come on for a little bit. No way, you're crazy. I don't know anything about racing like that. It'll be the last thing I, you know, talk about. I just want to know, you know, what kind of driver you are. We'll just keep it fun. Well, little did I know, she's just like Blake. Turns out she lives with him, has the same sarcasm. She goes going down the path of telling on old Clint, maybe being overserved at one of their parties and showing out a little bit. Starts telling out on live, live. I'm like Gwen. Whoa, 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 whoa! This is my job here. You said, "Well, this is backfiring on me bad." Right before everybody's very eyes, and uh, so that happened. Gwen's getting a little bit nervous up there, trying to deflect. Obviously, trying to maybe close the conversation and move on with Gwen Stefani. Maybe it wasn't the best idea for Clint. It was the best idea for everybody else. Next thing I know, I look over, and I'm, I'm out of questions, guys. I mean, I've thrown everything out that I know to try to keep it conversational. And my man, Tony Stewart, the big bad wolf that everybody knows, you know, the, the almighty Tony Stewart, he can't find one question asked. <laughs> I'm, I'm elbowing him. 
time, you know, trying was he, to was he in awe? To behind him. I'm like, Tony, like, what, something. And he just kept shaking his head. She walked out the door, and he's like, I couldn't say a word. I, I think I was struck. I was like, really? You don't say. It was so funny. Well, that was good stuff, and uh, it was uh, an entertaining show, and I know that it's a big week for you guys this weekend because you're going to be in uh, in Arizona for the Super Bowl and then the following weekend in Daytona for the Daytona 500. So I uh, wish you the best. Thanks for coming on and uh, spending a few minutes with us. We uh, greatly appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you down the road sometime soon. Man, you brought it up. I appreciate the time. Uh, obviously, big weekend for the Super Bowl on Fox, but uh, you know the, our day job. That Daytona 500, it's going to be a big one. There's a lot of big champion names that have, have never won that race, and all eyes are on it. So uh, make sure you tuned in, everybody. It's going to be a good one. Appreciate Thanks. you, Clint. Thanks, buddy. That's Clint Boyer, and uh, he is he is a good dude, man. I tell you what, there is not a, a party that he won't. I say, it uh, sounds like he's he's roll ready into. Yeah. for this Sunday. He's going to have a great time. He is not intimidated by in any Arizona. party. Yeah, <laughs> he's and, ready. He's ready. And his buddy Blake Shelton, you know, you get those guys together. That's a group now. Yeah, I, I can I can only imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah, they'll have fun. That's for sure. And um, and I appreciate him spending some time with us. Just a, a good good dude all the way around. Um, you know, we were laughing about it, kind of poking fun at the uh, the jet setters, you know, that are that are flying in for the uh, the Super Bowl, and you know, and, and I've spent a lot of time in in that area. I didn't realize they had eight. They have eight airports there. Yeah, that you Arizona, that will uh, take area. flights in for the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I actually so Arizona Phoenix area. That's uh, where I stayed in the off season during my plan days. I, I would train out there. Facility called Athletes Performance is where I spent a ton of time out there. So it's a, a beautiful place. Um, it's a fun, fun city. It's a little little spread out, um, but I, I think it's a great host city for a Super Bowl. And Clint and everybody else there and AZ, they're going to have a phenomenal time, you know, living it up in that big city. Man, and that place is going to be jumping this weekend, not just because of the Super Bowl, but the uh, Phoenix Open, the PGA Tour event is – is there this weekend as well? It is a fun-filled, action-packed hey, sports weekend. If you don't have your rental car reservation by now, you can forget it's it. It's going to be tough. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. There is not going to be anything available. Are you a golfer? Um, not not really. I mean, I, I play from time to time, but I'm not any good. Yeah. yeah, I don't play consistently enough to be good at golf. That is a sport where you have to play in order to have any any success some people just are naturally gifted at it but it's it's a uh, man that's one of those games that but even those that are great they are diligent about their work to uh, keep those skill sets sharp that i always find that interesting when you see a professional who kind of falls off you know it's like even as great as the professionals are yeah they still get in slumps or they drop i think who who was it that won the tournament uh, at Pebble Beach this weekend? I think it was his first win in four years. Wow. So, um, I prefer a good scramble where it's good company. Yeah. And it's, and it's, we're outside, we're having fun. That's the golf that I, I may hit a few good shots. My ball may be used one or two times and I'm happy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm with you there because uh, you know I can hit it left, I can hit it right, uh, rarely hit it down the middle, but don't feel bad at all when That's it's right. a scramble. That's, right. That's what somebody else does. Just That's make right. a putt or two, and you'll be fine. Be a contributor. That is, that is the goal when it's a scramble. Hey, have you seen this thing on uh, this show on Netflix? You you do Netflix? 
I, I do. My, my wife does more than I do, but yeah, sometimes I partake in it with her. It's called Human Playground, okay. and it's um, it, it's a show. It's kind of a more documentary style of um, uh, kind of breaking the pain barrier, and it's uh, along oh. the philosophy of you know what what doesn't kill you makes you strong, strong. you know, okay. kind of thing. But um, for instance, they um, they have a. a woman a bit on there about um, a woman that swims in freezing water uh to um trying to her test name is your Ki- limits yeah her name is kiki boss dives under the ice in the sub-zero temperatures and it's and it she'd been through a lot of personal trauma in her life and, it, and it's painful you know i mean it's it's not an easy thing to endure being underwater for almost a minute in freezing temperatures but it's a it's an interesting uh it's an interesting read they've got uh one of the uh, it's like maybe three three storylines in an hour, you know, uh-huh. where they show different stories of different people. One of them was a week-long foot race through the desert. Uh, a thousand started, only 40 finished. But uh, that this particular so episode... A, a physical competition, but really a competition yeah, of the mind. Yeah, and this particular episode... <laughs> Willpower. Uh, a lady was kind of focused on a lady that who was doing this race despite being an amputee. She'd had her left Ooh. leg amputated below the knee. And uh, just interesting stuff. If you get a chance to check it out on uh, Netflix, it's called Human Playground, and it's documentary, but it's, uh, I think, if you have any sort of a sports background or sports mindset, uh, you will find it interesting. Yeah. Uh, interesting I'm gonna, to I'm check add out. add that to our list. Tell my wife about that tonight. We'll definitely check that out. Uh, last five Super Bowls, Rams beat the Bengals 23-20. Uh, and in 21, the Bucks beat the Chiefs 31 to nine. Do you anticipate the Chiefs Eagles being more of a game that's like a 23 20 game, maybe that's a field goal game, or do you anticipate it being more like a 31 to nine game where one team has dominated the Definitely other? Definitely not lopsided. Um, you know, I think both of these teams will put up points, especially the Eagles. Um, not a spoiler alert, I'm, I'm going to be picking the Eagles for this, this weekend's game. Why? Um, they're just complete, uh, you know. Offensively, when it comes to their offensive line, obviously the quarterback position very strong at running back, and then at wide receiver, two of the top wide receivers in the National Football League, and AJ Brown um, being being the the top guy on that roster, and then even with that, the offensive talent, you have the offensive scheme. I, I think they totally keep teams off balance with with their their running attack led by the quarterback um anytime that you have a guy like that that has the ability to create or have design runs for him um it puts the defense at a deficit you know uh and then just his his accuracy and the big play ability with the play action when they're able to get big shots over the top um they're just difficult to stop and it's and it's difficult to even just slow them slow them down. And then defensively, up front from Brandon Graham, um, to Indomitian Sue and others, which was a move that they made earlier in the season to bring him in, you know, they just have what it takes to win in terms of football always starts up front. Mm. And for them, the strengths of those t- of the of the offense and the defense are the offensive line and the defensive lines and their secondary full of playmakers on the on the back end starting with with Darius Slay um big play Slay so for for that reason I will have to go with go with them um but 
That doesn't take anything away from what Kansas City brings to the table, what we know. One of my favorite quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes, um, Kelsey at the tight end position. You know, they have a great young running back that has emerged this season. And they have enough threats at the wide receiver position. And, you know, losing their their top threat, the Cheetah, last last season and still being as productive as Mm -hmm. they are is phenomenal. I mean, I think their defensive line as well is the anchor of their of their defense, and it all starts there, which was why they, in my opinion, won that game last week, the performance of the guys up front and getting pressure on the quarterback. But very evenly matched teams, and I, I think this will be an evenly matched game that comes down to the fourth quarter and a handful of plays that decides the game. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, uh, that 31-9, to you know, back in the 2021 game, Bucks over the Chiefs, uh, certainly – no, you, you hate to see that. Anytime yeah. it's a championship game. You want it down to the wire. You don't want it I, like the national championship yeah. game this past yeah. season, right? I mean, that was the biggest dud, yeah. right, for TCU to be able to beat Michigan and then come in and lay a total egg and be out, just totally outmatched, right, going up against Georgia. That was kind of just deflating for that whole format of the college football playoff to say, this was the final product that we were served. Right. Mm. And we don't want that same feeling of being the letdown yeah. from the entertainment value that's being produced and put on display. Man, we hope, I hope not. I, I'm, I'm with you. I hope it's just right down to the wire. Last year, Rams beat the Bengals 23-20. Sean McVay became the youngest coach to win the Super Bowl at, at 36 years of age. The previous year, Bruce Arians with the Bucks became the oldest coach to win the Super Bowl. And, of course, Andy Reid has been there, done that with KC. Sirianni right. with an opportunity to get his first yes. as a head coach. So former a lot Colts, of different storylines. Former yeah. Colts offensive coordinator, yep. Sirianni. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's lots of great storylines um, within this matchup. You know, uh, first time two African-American quarterbacks are going to be going head-to-head in the Super Bowl. Um, you, you have Andy Reid, who's been on both sidelines and been successful at both. He's gone to the Super Bowl with the Eagles and lost uh, to the Patriots. Um, and, and now he, this is multiple, multiple times that he's gone with the the Chiefs. Um, so I'm sure he has a lot, a lot of emotions um, and even his staff, I know the training staff is the same training staff that was in Philadelphia when I was there. Um, so just lots of storylines throughout this game. But I think we ended up with the best two teams in the National Football League as the matchup for this game. When you went to the Super Bowl with the Colts, were you able to enjoy the experience of it being the Super Bowl, or are you just so locked in on the task at hand that you can't really enjoy it? You as much? enjoyed some of it, yeah. Um, you know, as Clint mentioned, like it's a total party, right? The the entire week, but as a player, obviously that's not what you're there for. And maybe when you first get there, because you th- get down there like a a week, yeah, a week like, ahead like a week of time, in, a week yeah. in, in advance. So, you know, those first couple of days where you may partake and get out and about, but after that, I mean, it's it's lock in time. We're in our normal routine um, in terms of our our scheduling and our practice and our regimen in terms of working out, meals, all of those types of things. Um, but 
every team is different. It's all dependent upon your leadership. Like some teams may give you a little more leeway, a little more free time, but you can imagine, you know, the guys, some of the guys that you've mentioned, not even just our coaching staff, but guys like Peyton, Jeff Saturday, were made sure that everybody was locked in and prepared and ready to go. No distractions. Would Peyton get on the defensive guys too? Peyton would speak to any and everybody. <laughs> and so like that's a that's the thing that like I've learned about leadership. Like sometimes leadership is not about warm and fuzzy. Like sometimes leadership will poke and prod and nudge and rub people the wrong way. But then in hindsight, you look back and you say, Oh, they were actually right. Yeah. Right? You know, that is for me, that's one of the true aspects of leadership is the, the courage and confidence. To, no matter what everybody else thinks, I see something and I'm going to stand on it. And Peyton was one of those guys where you may not have always agreed with the method in the moment, but when hindsight was 2020 and said, dang, that was actually the right decision that was made. Mm. And uh, and he had, and, and he's certainly not the only one that's ever done it, but, and, you know, we talked a lot about Tom Brady, et cetera, but he backed it up. I mean, you know, it's one thing to talk the talk, but when you walk the well, walk. That's the only way that you, yeah. anybody will follow yeah. is, is when you back it up. Yeah. Like when you, when it comes down to when, when we when we're in workouts and you're not just telling everybody, Hey, great effort, great effort. We see you first in line with the quarterbacks. We see you last to leave the building. We see you prior to a game in your locker, still studying tape, still looking at notes that's what true leadership is, action and words aligned. Mm, good stuff. Hey, we'll be back in uh, just a couple of minutes, and it's going to be a great chat with um, – it's a father – if you're a dad, uh, you want to hear this because it's a great story that's happening this weekend at the Super Bowl, and we'll dive into it when we come back. 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Great to have you with us on this Wednesday as we uh, close up here in the final 30 minutes along with Marlon Jackson. I'm Vince Welch and want to bring on Randy Brown. Randy is um, specialist coach for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, works with the kicker Justin Tucker, who happens to be best in the league, maybe best ever, uh, won the Super Bowl with the Ravens back in 2013, been uh been in this business a long time but what's really cool i think about this story not just randy's accomplishments but his son tyler brown is the eagles kicking specialist coach and so randy great to have you with us man what a proud dad moment this is for you i'm guessing well hello vince marlin go blue and uh Really, yeah, it is, Vince. It's a well. First off, thanks for having me on. It's a, my first time I've been on an Indianapolis radio station, so just don't ask me anything about IndyCar stuff. I have no <laughs> idea. All right, we could talk Ravens football, NFL, and uh, and and of course Michigan football, just not IndyCar. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's amazing. It's really you know when you try to put the odds together, what the chances of a father son coaching in a Super Bowl for two different teams. 10 years apart, uh, you know, I think you have much of a chance to win Powerball. Do you, 
are you more nervous for your son coaching in the Super Bowl or when you were coaching in the Super Bowl? Yeah, this is awful. <laughs> it's like I don't care. I, you know, I, uh, I coached my kid growing up in all the sports. My two girls are 15 and 17. I've coached them in all the sports, and we won a heck of a lot of rec basketball games and soccer games. Um, but you know, go back three weeks. I'm on the sidelines. We lose to Cincinnati in that heart wrenching game, and I felt awful. But. You know, you don't feel as anxious when you're going into games and you have control of the game, you know, to an extent, right? Yeah. Well, and you know, as a player, yeah. us coaches sometimes believe we have more control than we really do, and sometimes we really do have a lot of control. So, but now as a dad, you know, after that game, after we lost that game and being on the field, uh, uh, pregame of the Giants playoff game and then last week's game, it just, I'm just turned into be dad now. So now I'm dad, and yeah, it's brutal. Just for, I wish the game could be over and we win. <laughs> As, as I as I was listening to you, I was sitting here thinking: Is which which hat are you wearing when when you're having conversations in the mix of, you know, the coach that's been there and the dad that's cheering on his son? And what is the advice that you're giving to him when you're wearing both of those hats? So, uh, Marlon, uh, you know, you you've won a Super Bowl too, so you know what the week is like. Um, my son was fortunate enough to be with me when we won the Super Bowl and the AFC Championship game. My son spent about 100 NFL games with us at the Ravens just because the great John Harbaugh allowed kids to be around. He was our ball boy. So, you know, he got to experience the week from that side, but he didn't get the experience we as a, as a coach. So, honestly, it started last week. We start talking about the Chiefs. Uh, obviously, we played them a lot. So, you know, I have some football background with that. We start talking football. And then when he left Sunday, there was no more football to talk, and it was, okay, how are we going to enjoy every moment? Document, write a diary, do a video diary. You know, have something when it's 10 years from you from now that you can look back and really cherish these moments because, uh, as we know, Marlon, it's never guaranteed that you're ever going back to another Super Bowl. And, you know, we should point out that um, Tyler's kicker, if you will, Jake Elliott, He's had two of the best seasons of his career uh, under Tyler's uh, guidance. So the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Right. Effective (laughs) effective coaching. Well, thanks for saying that. You know what, Um, Marlon and Vince, you guys have been around sports a long time, right? Great players make great coaches. All right. (laughs) Justin Tucker makes me look like I'm just the, you know, the best kicking coach around. But, um, what, what I found in my 20 years in National Football League, it's the combination of great players, great coaches, and that players that want to get better, okay? And there are some players which just want to shut us out as coaches, and they play on the contract they're in, and that's, okay, we're good. But then there's many of the others, and probably the majority, Marlon could test it more than me probably. It's, some of these players, if they find a coach – that can help them get that next contract, that can help them exceed on the field, they buy into your information, which exactly. after 15 seasons in Baltimore, we have found. I mean, we've, we've between Jerry Rossford, John Harbaugh, Chris Horton, and myself, you know, we've produced uh, top five special teams for the better part of the last 15 seasons because we have our players buy in and we can make our guys better and they make us better. I mean, I learned from Tucker every, every week I'm out there. Don't let him know I said that. <laughs> But, but, but uh, you, you know what I mean, Marlon. I no, mean, you, really, we build off each other. You're hitting the nail right on top of the head because it's it's the mindset, right? 
within the relationship where as a player I have a growth mindset. I don't see myself as a completed project and I'm open to learning, which makes me receptive to the teaching of my coach. And that that combination of of still eager to learn, even though I have a high skill set, right? That eagerness to learn but then just the ability to apply what's being learned um, in real time and to not lose that desire to better myself. And that allows and opens up the door for a coach to be effective. And, and I think what you said, that is what, that's the mindset of the majority of players that play in the National Football League and on the collegiate level is understanding you know, the relationship and the dynamics between that player and that coach. You know, and, and being on that journey and, and having won a Super Bowl and then think about to that journey that you were on and what did you do to prepare your, your, your son over the span of your time together growing up to be successful in these sorts of moments? So I put him in every, you know, the kid was, I was coaching the Chicago Bears 1998-1999 with Dave Wonstadt and Dick Duran, two of the best men you'll ever meet. Um, and my son was seven and eight. Well, guess where my son was? He was at practice with us. He was on the sidelines for games. You know, a picture with him and Troy Aikman, uh, you know, who didn't play a game in 98. Uh, I, as I told you before, he spent 100, 100 games with me at least on the sideline. I made him um, be a football kid. Why? Because he wanted to. And he wanted to learn. He wanted to be part of it. I don't think either of us, if you would have asked us 20 years ago, would he be? Would we both be coaching in the National Football League? You know, no, I thought I was going to be a head high school football coach. I didn't think I was going to be this. And he was a, he came out of college. He was a PE teacher at Berlin Elementary School here in New Jersey. So it's just where our paths have taken us. And to go back to what you had asked about Jake, I think the success of Jake, it's number one is his confidence. Number one is his confidence. Tyler has helped instill that. But they clean the operation up. They clean the snap. They clean the hold up. And, you know, practice is maybe a little different than it was before. Film study is a little different than it was before. So it's more than just teaching a different swing. It's all those aspects. You know, what's your sleep pattern? What's your health? What's your, what, what, what are you doing in the weight room? What are you doing in the offseason? Are you playing golf? Are you not playing golf? All of these factors go into us having successful kickers. See, and so you, I'm just getting excited right now and listen and listening to you because <laughs> it, it's it's the underestimated aspect of athletics. It's everything that you spoke to is the preparation, right? And the evaluation to understand what is effective and what is not and then to come up with a plan to produce. And and that is the quality of of great coaching, of great leadership, but in players to have that growth mindset and be open-minded to getting better. And that's why you have organizations like the Baltimore Ravens and now what we're seeing with the Philadelphia Eagles that are extremely successful. And we'll say we'll throw in our, our, our alma mater, the University of Michigan as well. That's why we are all successful is because of that dynamic between our coaches and our players. And, you know, if I can add to that, when you coach for John Harbaugh, you coach for Jim Harbaugh. I've got 18 seasons stay on the sidelines with John I've obviously known Jim for 25 years, and John, Tyler's been with Jim. You better be detail-oriented, okay? If John comes in and asks you to teach him the technique for the right end on field goal against a 6 by 4 rush and that, that outside end and the corner and the safety are outside of him, how are you blocking him? You better be detail-oriented. Well, we expect the same of our players. If I bring Justin in 
or Sam Cook at the time or Jordan Stout. They're like, give us the exact detail. Where is that hand? Where is that foot? To me, that's how you continue to become successful, which is the detail-oriented in the offseason and the regular season. So, Marlon, if you can still run like a 4-4, maybe about 22 miles per hour, might be able to let you get to cover some kicks next year. Yeah, only, only, only when I'm asleep. I have, I have dreams of, and, I'm, and I'm still run, running that fast, but that's about it. That's about it. We're visiting with uh, Randy Brown. He's the uh, Baltimore Ravens uh, kicking coach for Justin Tucker, 15 years in the league in the NFL, won the Super Bowl with the Ravens in 2013. His son, Tyler Brown, is the Eagles kicking coach and the Eagles kicker, Jay Kelly. Would you rather, as dad, are you going to be excited or will you hate it if it comes down to an Eagles field goal to win the Super Bowl? No, I want the game to come down to to Jake because I know he's ready for that moment. Uh, he's played in this game before. He practices well. That's what I want. I mean, I that you people ask me many times, why is Justin Tucker so good? Because he's the Mario, Mariano Rivera. He's the Michael Jordan. He wants the ball at the end of the game. No one else should get the ball but him. And Jake has that same mindset. So, to me, what would be better? Kick a walk-off field goal like Adam Vinatieri did before. Let's go kick a walk-off 38-yarder right hash, win the game, and and we all get a Super Bowl trophy and a great win. That's how I love to see it. Mm. I don't want some 41-7 boring game, unless the Eagles, of course, are winning 41-7 and we win the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking about that earlier, just hoping it's a good, close game. You know, you don't really have a dog in the fight. You just want it to be a good game and take it right down to the end. Speaking of the Super Bowl, when you guys were there, the Ravens in 2013 in New Orleans, that was the blackout game, right? Yeah, yes, it, was. it was. It was. So, so what happens there when when the stadium loses the electricity? Take us inside. What happened with the team there? So, you know, we come out at half. Jacoby Jones runs kickoff. We're up big, and and we're just standing there. Next thing you know, a bank of lights go out, and we don't know what happened. Right? We're expecting it to go on and off real quick, especially with all these you know the light shows they have. We didn't think it was planned. Beyonce had just literally come off. And uh, then they're not coming on. And then you're thinking, are we going to finish this game? Because then we start talking to sidelines. Are, are we really going to finish? Now, remember, Marlon, we have the 31-minute halftime to begin with, right? And we had an older team back then. You know, we had Ray and Ed and Haloti and these guys and Matt Burke who were an older team. So we were like, when are they going to restart this game? And, uh, yeah, it was a little nerve-wracking because we lost all momentum at once once those lights came back on again. and. Thankfully, the game wasn't a little longer than that because I don't know if we would have if it would have ended the way that it did. But it was bizarre, very bizarre and unsettling. So I I, yes. I have to ask. My son is a Baltimore Ravens fan, and he loves Lamar Jackson. Next season, do you think that Lamar Jackson will still be a Baltimore Raven? So this is a great part, right? I coach specialists and I coach special teams. I know that Justin Tucker is under contract. <laughs> and in the offseason next year and in training camp, I'd love to see you and your son come to training camp and hopefully meet whoever's playing for us at the time. So, you know, it's uh, I've learned a long time ago in this league, Marlon, you stay right into your, right into your little wheelhouse there and, and mine is coaching specialist. Man, did you hear how Randy? Did had, you hear how Randy avoided that question? I mean, he's a he's you know, be a he used to be a mayor. He, I say he should be a politician because that <laughs> was. that was a lesson right there. You were the what town was it? You were the mayor of Randy. So I was born and raised here in Marlton, New Jersey. Uh, we have fifty thousand people. My family and, uh, lives in Marlton, New Jersey. 
You're kidding me. No El Marco way. Jackson, Ellen Jackson, Mackenzie Jackson, they live in Marlton, New Jersey. When I played for the Eagles, I spent a ton of time in Marlton, New Jersey. Marco is a McDonald's All-American going to University of Kansas next season. Wow. Well, off the air, send me their address, and I'll say hello. But So I was the mayor from 2007 to 2018, so they must have bragged that uh, they had the best <laughs> mayor in America while you were over here with the Eagles in 2010. Awesome, awesome. Small world. <laughs> That's good it stuff. It really is. It's a small world. It's great. So different now. we got the Chickies and Pete's. we got the Carlos Bakeries of the world. we got a lot of great things here in Marlton. So it was a great time in my life. I loved it. And when you're the mayor of the town that you grew up in, there's not much better except maybe your son winning the Super Bowl. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what, father winning the Super Bowl, son winning the Super Bowl, that'd be pretty cool. We wish you the best, Randy. And uh, good luck to uh, Tyler and the Eagles. And uh, we'll be thinking about you when Jake Elliott trots out there at the end of the game to kick that game winner. Uh, yeah, and I'll be just as nervous as anybody else will be. And uh, But, hey, let's stay in touch. Marlon, uh, Vince has my contact info. I'd love to uh, talk to you afterwards. Awesome. Thanks, Randy. Okay, guys. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Yeah. That's uh, Randy Brown, uh, the uh, Ravens kicking coach, and uh, the best kicker. I mean, it will rival Vinatieri, yeah. I think. Justin yeah. Tucker is Agreed. the greatest kicker ever. Of course, the Ravens won the Super Bowl in 2013. And then to have your son be – on the coaching staff of a team in the Super Bowl too, and a potential winner. What a what a neat story that is. A uh, well, father-son awesome. relationship and the pride that a dad has. Hey, uh, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, Jimmy's a uh, gambling expert. So if you, uh, you get, the, okay, get right. the duffel bag of all cash right. out. And, Let's uh, go. We'll, we'll, Jimmy will have his uh, bets for tonight, and maybe we'll even throw out a couple of prop bets that we'll want to keep our eye on for the Super Bowl on Sunday. With Marlon Jackson, I'm Vince Welch. You're listening to 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Great to have you with us. Uh, 107.5 The Fan with Marlon Jackson. I'm Vince Welch. Hey, it's been fun today. Yeah, it's been great. Been great, it, great job quarterbacking today. Yeah, nice to be to... in the... The passenger seat, riding along with you. It's been uh, it's been a blast, and um, hopefully, uh, maybe even get the chance to do it again. And I've certainly enjoyed your insights. Great stuff uh, all day long, and particularly not just on the football side, but but uh, particularly some of the uh, the Colts conversation, the in the locker room stuff that uh, a lot of people aren't privy to. I hope that uh, those listening have had a chance to uh, tune that in today. Uh, Super Bowl this weekend. We we're talking about uh, a couple of the prop bets. You know the. Uh, which player will score the game's first touchdown, you know, the Hurts or Mahomes, who's, you know, the passing yards, over, under, this, that, and the other. Who's going to be the MVP? You know, those are kind of some of the normals. But I like opening kickoff. Will it be a touchback or not? Oh, I'm going I'm going touchback for sure. The kickers, I mean, they all... And, and nowadays, like, yeah. you know... I'm going, I'm going to touch back. So sure. here's your caution to that because we've talked about it and, and Pat McAfee has mentioned this before. That's a ceremonial ball they use for the first kickoff. We don't have a lot of time to dive into it. I don't know what the numbers are, but more often than not, it's actually not a touchback because of that ball is different than the ball they're going to use the 
I don't know if it's the uh, weight oh, of it or what it is, but it's a ceremonial ball. That's oh, interesting. So it doesn't travel as well. Right, right, right. Hey, when you guys won the Super Bowl, do you remember what color of the Gatorade that was dumped on Tony Dungy? I don't. I'm, I'm, I have come into my orange is what orange. I is what I, is what I because say. you can bet on that too. The my color God, of the can, Gatorade that on, gets dumped. You can on. bet on the color of the Gatorade. <laughs> we're right in Jimmy's wheelhouse now, and uh, you got some you got some bets for us for tonight. Here we go. The Jay Cook plays of the day. This is me. All right, I'm not a athlete. This is my. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day. We're going to take the Pacers toward the money line against the Miami Heat. Also going to take the Creighton Blue Jays toward the money line against Seton Hall. And then a golf bet for you, taking Scotty Scheffler to get a top 10 finish at the Waste Management Open. One and one yesterday, three and one on the week. Plays on Twitter at the J Cook. How about that? That's right. the way a pro right. does it right, right. there. A, a high level pro. <laughs> <laughs> gotta be efficient. Gotta get, gotta get in there. Betting golf. That's gonna. That's that's gotta be. I mean, Give you, 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 you are all on, weekend. You Give are on top to, of it. If you have so many ways in which you can spend your money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it takes me too much to get it. I don't want to give it, it away. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not, not a, good I'm enough. I'm not a gambler. I'm, I'm not, not a gambler. Good enough. I stopped gambling after I lost in 2006 the Michigan Ohio State game. I lost a big bet to Mike Doss. Uh, <laughs> and and was that a. Uh, uh, it was a, a monetary. It was a, it was a monetary or, yeah. wager, yeah. and ended up on the wrong end of it, and I was done after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it only takes once to kind of sour you on something like that. Hey, um, thanks again for being with us, spending uh, your Wednesday with us. Um, just had a, I thought, uh, entertaining show. It was entertaining for my spot anyway. I certainly enjoyed it, and uh, thanks to Stephen Bardo who joined us to talk about uh, IU basketball. We had. Uh, Kristen Arion, Clint Boyer, and uh, Randy Brown to talk about the great story about his son uh, being the uh, coach uh, on the Philadelphia Eagles specialists. Uh, so uh, keep an eye on that. JMV is coming up next. Thanks for listening to 93.5 107.5 The Fan.